Welcome to the Healing School in Justin, Texas on what is today, May the 28th, May the 28th of 2005. The reason I do that, now I used to not do that, and somebody would go back and listen to a tape and say, where did you make this tape? I said, good grief, I have no idea. <laughs> you know, I don't know where I was when I'd done that. All I know is I was somewhere. You know, I was on the earth. But I don't know. I don't know the date or anything. So for those of you that are a little uh, cool or whatever, I know they have an aerobics class in here in the morning. They set the temperature at 70, 71. And so when we walked in here a while ago, Cheryl thought, she said, go get my jacket. And I thought to myself, well, we could hang a side of beef in here and it wouldn't spoil, that's for sure. So I went and got her jacket and then I went in and set the temperature up to 73. So maybe, you know, in the time warming up from 70 or 71 to 73, it feels real comfortable to me. So anyway, it won't come back on until it gets up to 73 in here. So if anybody gets uncomfortable, all you need to do is let me know and I'll do something. I guess what I would like to do to start off with here, I know some of you, uh, I mean, we've got people from, uh, I'm not, let me just start over here on this front row. What area are y'all from? from Arlington. Okay, you're right here close. And Denton? Sanger? Houston? Houston? Amarillo? Colleyville? Weatherford? Hot Springs, Arkansas? North Richland Hills? And the lady back there on the back? Where are you from? <laughs> That pretty lady back on the back. Oh, Justin. Oh, okay. <laughs> that's Sherry. That's Dave's wife, and I'm kidding her. <laughs> Blue ma'am? Okay. Euless. Praise the Lord. Both of you gentlemen from Euless? Former Arkansas. Wow, Arkansas again. All of you from Arkansas? And Graham. Graham, Texas. and Graham, Texas. Praise the Lord. Got people from all over. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. That's great. Welcome to the Healing School. <clears throat> now then, what I would like to do to start off today, I would like to open with a word of prayer, and then I'm going to give you the opportunity, if you've had any kind of a miracle or healing or something you'd like to give God the glory for, for what he's done, I'm going to let you come up here and talk on the microphone here, and we're going to put this on tape, because your healings and your miracles always encourage other people. You know, it's one thing for me to tell these miracles, but when you tell them and you're there on tape and they say, that really happened to that woman. And look at what God did for him. Now, if God is no respecter person, he'll do that for him. He'll do it for me. And that's what builds people's faith to a degree, at least that'll drive them to the Word to build their faith so that they can receive these mighty things from God. Father, in the name of Jesus, we are so grateful that you're the King of kings and Lord of lords and that you're our Lord and our God. And Lord, we're on the same side with you. We want to thank you that we're your children. And we want to thank you that you sent your son 2,000 years ago to defeat this enemy for us so we don't have to put up with the beast. So, Lord, I thank you and I praise you and I worship you for being our Lord and our God and defeating the enemy and giving us all power over him. Now, Father, as we go today, I rebuke the enemy. 
I command the enemy, which is Satan and his host, to get out of this place and to not steal a single word out of anybody's mind or heart in this place today. And then, Father, I ask you, by the power of the Holy Spirit, to lock these words into our minds and our heart so we can hide them in our heart and in our minds so we can recall them anytime we want to so we will be able to take that double-edged sword and let it come out of our mouth and cut the devil, the enemy, asunder with your word so we can walk in the abundant life that you promised us in John 10.10. Thank you, Father, for this day. And may you bless everything we do today. In the name of Jesus, amen. Amen. Praise the Lord. Now then, who would like to be first to come up here and tell me about something Jesus has done? I would love to have you come up here. Uh, Okay. Oh, right here? You want to tell us what Jesus has done? All right. Stand up right there and just... Go ahead and tell us right there, just speaking at night. Uh, I'm not used to this, but anyway, I'm uh, I'm a lady, 91 years old, and uh, I uh, have uh, the Lord is is uh, healing me. Uh, but um, come have macular degeneration. Pardon? Come have macular degeneration. That's incurable. Oh yes, I've got um, um, tell one. Which is macular degeneration, which is medically incurable. Yes. She's legally right. blind. Right. That's right. But uh, I've been uh, reading, um, uh, what's the chart? Kenneth Hagen. Kenneth Hagen. And, and he said a wonderful way is, is to uh, read the Bible for yourself and act on it. Amen. And... Uh, there's a scripture that says, when I can't quote it, but when we love the Lord and His ways, that He gives us the desires of our heart. Amen. And so I had I uh, remember uh, people with macular for years. When you look at this white wall, uh, you'll see a whole, like a real black, like a bunch of grapes. And of course, and you know it. In bed, when you first uh, first wake up, I'll look at the ceiling, and it's white as uh, your backdrop here. And um, but I looked at one day, and it was perfectly uh, clear. And then the black grapes had disappeared. Right? Yeah, they they had gone. And then in about uh, uh, three days, I woke up one morning, and I could see. Amen. I could see. And and um, uh, it's just it, it's wonderful because now I can do like um, Hagee hey, says that you can just read the scriptures and and act on them and God will answer. Amen. He yes. will. Praise the King. Glory to God. This young lady, I think did you say you you were ninety one years young. Wow, it's only 91 years young. She's really now getting hold of standing on the promises of God. Wow. She's overcoming the enemy. Praise the Lord. Okay, who else has got a testimony you'd like to hear? Brother, you got one? Come up here. You're young. Get up here with me. You know, good grief. You're not 91. You may be 90, but you ain't 91. Okay. Give a praise to the Lord. This happened to me in 1984. 
I had some sickness came up on me, and I was so sick, and I went into the hospital three times. The doctor didn't even know what was wrong with me. And they gave me all kind of medication, and I was going through all kind of process, but I kept calling upon the name of the Lord and asking God for his mercy. And then the Lord began to speak to me. And then he began to tell me in John 14 chapter, he said, Let not your heart be troubled, that you will see the man who died for you. But I went through a process of healing. And, and, and when I went through the process of healing, the Lord just took me through it. And the doctor didn't know what wrong with me to this day. So I kept on standing up on the word of God. I was on all kind of medication. They did all kind of tests. And they couldn't find out what was wrong with me. I had a headache for six months. I was dizzy for six months. I was so sick. The world didn't even seem real to me no more. When I look at people, they didn't even look real. I had swelling come up on my neck, on my arms. Just a whole lot of things that started happening to me. But before that happened, I had asked Jesus Christ to come into my heart. I said, Lord, don't never let it be too late for me. And I gave my life over to Jesus. And the Lord came to me, and then the Lord spoke to me. And then the Lord brought me through that healing. He delivered me, and he set me free. And in 2003, the Lord came to me in my dream. And he said, you're going to be with me one day. And when he done that, the power of God flooded my being. And I said, praise God for Jesus. I thank God for who he is today. Amen. He's a great God and a great Savior. Amen. And redeemer of my soul. Praise the Lord. What a testimony. Glory to God. Praise the King. Anybody else? Well, come up here. You can't sit there. You've got to tell what Jesus has done for you. You're sure getting better every day, aren't you? Amen. Tell us what Jesus has done for you. Let me show you first. Okay. Just hold on to this. Okay. Praise the King. Glory to God. <clears throat> now tell us what, what happened. Well, in 1999, I was in a really terrible accident. And a young man was killed, and I was left for dead. And uh, actually, when they found me, I was not breathing, and my lung was burst or punctured. And I was bleeding out of the ears, the nose, and the mouth. And for all practical purposes, I was dead. And the uh, young men who were in a van from the school that I was teaching were following us. And they got out and did the only thing they knew to do, and that's what I've been teaching them, pray. Amen. And uh, they took a hold of me and prayed for me. I took a big old deep breath, and uh, I started breathing. They uh, took me to East Texas Medical Center in the trauma unit, and what had happened was this uh, bone between the C6 and C7 was burst. And, uh, well, they told my wife if I lived, if I lived, I'd never walk again. They were so emphatic about that. The doctor just told her, look, it's just, you don't get it. He, if he lives, he will never walk in, told her four times. And she just simply said, I don't believe your report. God's got a different report. That's just all there was to it. I was unconscious for 11 days. When I did finally come to, they asked me where I wanted to go to, med uh, to uh, rehab. I went to, to Texas, Canada. That's close to my home. And uh, the only thing I knew to say was... I don't know when I'm getting out of here or what assistance I need, but I will walk out. And every day you're going to see something new happen. And my therapist started coming in every day saying, wow, what new is going to happen today? Because something new did happen. And I did walk out of there after 30 days. But my healing has been a very gradual thing. I always go forward. I never go backward. The other thing that was interesting is the spiritual healing that went on. 
because my physical healing was in direct proportion to my spiritual healing because there's a lot of things that need to get healed inside of me. I'm just wanting you to know I'm doing so good. I mean, I'm just doing so good. I mean, really good. You just have no idea. Uh, three months ago, I couldn't have stood on my head like I just did. There was a time when I couldn't, couldn't uh, uh, lay on the floor and bend forward because I was literally paralyzed from the chest down. On my left side right now, I, I don't have a lot of feeling. i got weird feelings. And uh, i got some internal things I'm still working on. And I've got uh, what they call uh, spasticity. But I'm just telling you, it, it is diminishing so much. It's going away. It's getting better. I always go forward. I never go backwards. And I'm going to tell you all something. By the, the, by, this, by the end of this year, I'll be walking on my hands. Amen. I'm serious. I really will. And, and everywhere I go, folks keep saying, you're looking younger and you're looking younger and you're looking younger. I'm 51 years old. And uh, I'm telling you, I do good. I mean, really good. So, bless the Lord. That's all I can just tell you. Amen. And now, I don't know what He's going to do today, but something more will take place today. Amen. It's just you just mark it down. Amen. Thank you. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord, for being our God and giving us the power to overcome the enemy. Praise the Lord. Anybody else have another testimony? Come up here. Praise the Lord. Tell us what wonderful things Jesus is doing, Miss Sherry. <laughs> well, you know, these were uh, some awesome testimonies. And sometimes I think, well, something that may seem small, but it nothing small. Oh. Really nothing. And I didn't tell it last Sunday because we had a lot of testimonies. But I kept my uh, little granddaughter, a baby. And so I carried her around and... Um, after she left, well, my back was hurting real bad, like on the side, and I've had that years ago. And I was, it was so subtle that I didn't really catch it, you know. I just kind of was going along, and, and it was kind of hurting. But I started up the stairs, and Dave was in front of me. We got to the top of the stairs, and it dawned on me. I thought, hey, that, that's hurting. I don't have to have that. So I said, Dave, lay your hand on my back. Because my back's hurting. So, boy, he just commanded that to go. And so I said, well, it's finished. And he walked on away. And in just, oh, say, a minute, every bit was gone, never to come back. And I'm telling you, it wasn't a little thing. It wasn't like, oh, just a small pain. No, it, it, it was really hurting. And it was gone. So I know we just need to not let that subtle stuff come in and set its little self up in there to take over and you have to mess with it a long time, it has to go. So In the name of In Jesus, name it has to go. Amen. Praise the Lord, Miss Jerry. Glory, glory. Yep, you don't let the devil get a foothold. I mean, he'll come in and he's so subtle in the way he does things and he will put these pains and symptoms upon us. You just don't let him do it. Anybody else got another testimony? You got one? Come up here and tell us what you've got to say, what Jesus did for you. We want to give the king the glory. Well, he's done awesome things. He's an awesome God. Uh, I was telling Thurman earlier that a year ago, June 26th, last year, the Lord instantly just changed my life. He gave me a new heart and a transformed life. And that's what Ezekiel says he'll do. And uh, since that time, he's done many things that have just, they blow me away every time he does something. But I was also telling him about 
Um, well, I didn't tell you about the bitterness. Uh, about a month ago, he revealed that I had bitterness, and I repented immediately. And, it, you know, he he's just so faithful that he lets you know that you're loved when you repent. And, uh, and then a couple of weeks later, he revealed that, well, I was listening to the unforgiveness tapes, and I asked the Lord as I started my walk listening to the tapes that he would uh, reveal to me if I had any unforgiveness left in me. And before I was through with that walk, he had revealed it, and I repented it. I went home and talked to my husband about it, and the Lord just just let me know that because I repented that he really loved me. You know, he just brings his spirit down to testify of his love. And uh, then the next week I went over to Dillard's and I bought some clothes. Well, my husband wasn't too happy about it, but he didn't tell me to take them back. So <laughs> he didn't tell me, but I knew he wasn't pleased. And the Lord was telling me, you know, you really should take them back. Be obedient to your husband, you know, because I'm supposed to be subject to him. So the next day I took them back. And I thought, well, you know, I don't know what happened to my clothes that I had last year because I can't find them. <laughs> so I didn't know what I was going to do for a summer wardrobe. But the Lord provided. You know, um, what I have on today is part of the wardrobe that I won from a, a free drawing at Dillard's, <laughs> and the Lord provided twice what I had taken home with me the first time. <laughs> so I just give him all the praise because he does provide for us according to his riches and glory. Amen. Isn't that awesome? Yeah. That's pretty powerful whenever she takes, goes and buys the clothes, doesn't talk to her husband or anything, goes out and spends the money, and then he's not too happy. He doesn't say anything. He's a pretty good guy, obviously, but she knew, so, you know, she thought, well, I have to repent and take that back, and I'm going to be subject to him. And so she takes it back, and then she goes to a drawing, she said. And what she took back, she won a free shopping spree to that place for twice what she had bought. And so then she got it free. So then her husband, he could be happy, right? He, he was immediately happy, huh? Where'd you get all them new clothes? Honey, they're free. He says, oh, praise God, this is okay. <laughs> Isn't that amazing? When you're, when you're obedient to do what God says, he's pretty awesome, isn't he? Pretty awesome. And the thing about it is that blows me away about the king. He can be so intently involved in even the little things about what you're going to wear. How can God be that big to be so big, but yet he can be so small that he's like there's not another human being on the earth but you? That's the intimacy that we have with God. You know, it's just like he's always there to answer our prayers and do wonderful things for us. Anybody else before we go on? Any other testimonies? Any others? Okay, well, praise the Lord. Let me turn this mic off then. And oh, I don't know why they put that on there, but that's a, that's a new piece of tape I haven't seen before. So I guess that's the way life is. Okay. Today, I'm going to concentrate today, starting out with you and I have a choice as to who we're going to serve and what we're going to do, whether we're going to be sick or whether we're going to be free of sickness and disease, and it's totally a choice. 
And I want, I want to start in Romans 6, 16. That's where I want to start. You know, you, when you take the word, something I guess that so grossly offends people that don't know the word, is when somebody does not know the word, although they've been to church all their life, and especially if grandmother was the best Christian that you ever knew in your life, and grandmother was the most loving, kind woman that you ever knew, and grandmother was in church every time the door was open, and grandmother died with cancer. You, you offend me if you say my grandmother was a sinner. Well, let me tell you. Let it be known. Your grandmother was a sinner. If she died with cancer, she allowed the enemy to deceive her. That's just a fact. You know, I've had people tell me, Thurman, you can't be true. I said, yeah, well, I'm going to tell you what I've learned reading the Word of God. And I'm going to tell you my mother was one of the most godly women I ever knew in my life. She was the most loving woman I ever met in my life. She was the purest woman I ever met in my life. But she had cancer a couple of times. She had a breast removed one time. And I remember in the surgery, I remember one time after Mother had that breast removed, that terrible pain and suffering she went through. When I was sitting there in a room with her, and that nurse was trying to find a vein in her arm, and her veins had virtually all collapsed, had stuck so many needles in my mother. I remember Mother looking over at me with tears in her eyes saying, Thurman, do something. Help me. They're hurting me. And did you know I, had, I was a Christian, been to a Baptist church all my life, and I was a regular attender, but I had so little faith, I didn't even pray for my mother. I didn't know how to pray. Is that stupid, brother? We've, you and me probably both been there, haven't we? Yet I had this magnificent book that I carried to church every Sunday, and I had no idea what it really said. But I'd been in church all of my life. Well, the devil's good. He's really good. But I'm going to start at Romans 6, 16. And this is where we're going to start. Romans 6, 16. Know you not that to whom you yield yourselves servants to obey, his servants you are. To whom you obey. Whether of sin, which will lead unto death, or of obedience, which will lead unto righteousness and eternal, long, healthy life. That's what he said, wasn't it? So as a daughter of the king, he gave you the privilege to serve whoever you wanted to, the devil or God, didn't he? Well, I'm going to tell you, too many of us take the wrong road. Too many of us as Christians, in fact, you know what you can do? I mean, just like give you an example of how little we know about Jesus. Day before yesterday, the pastor of that Baptist church down there in Avon, Florida, where I was speaking on Thursday night and, or Tuesday night and Wednesday night, on Thursday, he picked me up that morning. We went to a restaurant to have something to eat, and we sat there at noon and had a salad, and we're talking about the Word of God, and a precious little, a beautiful little lady, you know, probably 25, I don't know how old she was, maybe. 
she kept coming up, you know, taking our order, asking us if we had some more, need some more tea or was everything okay, anything she could help us for. Just a precious little, beautiful little lady. And finally, she come up and she said, well, now, is there anything else I can do for you gentlemen because my shift is just about over and I'm going to have to go home. And by this time, it's 2 o'clock in the afternoon. We still sat in there. And I said, by the way, young lady, let me ask you a question. There is something else you can do for me. She said, what's that? I said, are you a do you know Jesus? She looked at me kind of strange and she said, well, uh, yes, I know Jesus. I said, good. Do you go to church? Uh, well, uh, y- uh, yes. I said, where? Well, uh, she said, down here a couple of miles uh, at a little church down here. I said, what's the name of it? And she said, well, I don't know. I said, you don't go very much, do you? She said, well, I've only been here about a month or two. And I said, well, from where you came, did you go to church? She said, yes. I said, what was the name of it? Well, she said, it was a Catholic church, but I can't remember the name of it. I said, oh, okay. I said, you don't read the Bible. You don't know Jesus. Well, she said, I've heard of Jesus. I said, oh, yes, ma'am, but that's not what counts. It's knowing Jesus as your personal Savior that counts. And she said, you need to talk to Karen. She said, Karen talks like this all the time. I said, well, okay. Go get Karen. So she went and got Karen, brought her over, and Karen come back. She's a beautiful little woman, about 35 or 40. And I said, Karen, are you a born-again believer in Jesus Christ? She said, yes, sir, I am. I know Jesus as my Lord and Savior. Now, woo, that woman's got it together. I said, okay. I said, Teresa, Karen knows Jesus, and so she's obviously been studying the Word a little, so since you know her and you don't know me, I said, I'm going to say some things, and she's going to confirm what I say is the truth. And I began to tell her about Jesus and what He did for her on the cross and all the things He did. And Karen said, yeah, he's right. Teresa, that's exactly, that's true. I said, now, if all those things are true, Teresa, I said, the enemy's blinded your mind. I said, you wouldn't want to die and go to hell, would you? Well, she said, of course not. I said, no, and Jesus doesn't want you to. But to prevent you from doing that, you have to accept Jesus as your Lord and Savior. Well, she said, wow, well, I don't know how to do that. I said, all you've got to do is repeat after me. And I led that little girl into the kingdom of God and got her saved, got her filled with the Holy Ghost and everything. And then I told her, I said, now you need to find you a good church. And Scott's Baptist Church, which is right down the road, would be a good place for you to go to get baptized. I said, this would be a good place. But wow, she's just tickled. She's having, she's out there. Now, Jesus is wonderful. And so she said, okay. So then she goes over and starts to close her books out. And when she does, the Lord says, give her a tip. I said, okay. So I reached in my billfold, opened up, and I got a, $20 bill out. And I closed my bill, put it back in, and the Lord says, Son, I said, give her a tip. I said, Lord, the meal didn't cost but $10. He said, I said, give her a tip. So, okay. so I put my bill back, put the 20 in there, and got a 50. He said, That's better. So I called her over, and I said, Here, this is from Jesus. And I had it all folded up, and I laid it in her hand. And so she just put it in her pocket, and didn't look at it. She walked off, went over, done her books. When she got released, she came up and she said, Wow, thank you. 
I've never had a tip like that one. I said, well, that's from Jesus. I said, that's the kind of God we serve. Jesus. Isn't he an awesome God? Then we sat there for another hour talking about the Word of God and everything. And Karen comes running back over there and she said, Mr. Scrivener, we've been talking to Patty over here and telling her what Teresa did. And Patty says, she don't know Jesus and she wants to get saved, but I don't know how to lead her. Would you bring her into the kingdom too? And I said, I told Scott, I said, we're here just throwing out the hook. I mean, the seas, right? We're throwing the hook out. We're just pulling them in real, right here in this restaurant. For real. We got Patty come over. She said, I never heard anything so wonderful. This, I want to know Jesus as my Savior too. So we got her saved. Isn't it wonderful? When you sit around and talk about the Word of God, you know, I told Scott, I said, Scott, woo, I said, you know, the angels of God in heaven are rejoicing. And the Word of God says, those that win souls are wise and they shall shine in the firmaments as the stars forever. I said, you know how we're going to shine in the stars, in the, in the firmament, as the stars forever? He said, no, how? I said, when we won those two little ladies to Christ, I said, Jesus says, you big boys, you angels, go over there to the diamond quarry and get some great, big, beautiful diamonds and put them in Thurman and Scott's crown. And I said, that's how we're going to shine. I said, we're building our treasures in heaven. And there ain't no treasures on this earth like them, is there? Well, see, you need to realize that's what we're supposed to be about. But now these two ladies that come to know Jesus, just like Karen just like them and just like you, once you become a born-again Christian, today, after you got saved, God give you a choice as to which way you're going to go. He says here, verse 15 says, What then? Shall we sin? Because we're not under the law, but under grace? Shall we sin as Christians? What's his answer? No. Wait a minute. You mean as Christians you're not supposed to sin? That's kind of a new one to the church in a lot of cases, isn't it? But this is all over the Bible. You can open the Bible anywhere and find out that you as a daughter of the king are not supposed to sin. There's a whole lot of requirements. You are supposed to be subject to your husband. And if you don't, you pay a consequence whether you know it or not. That's when he gives you that new heart. That's when you learn that, wasn't it, young lady? That's when she's talking about a while ago. It totally changed her life when she realized that she had to submit to her husband and do it in love. And when she did, God changed her totally. Now, how many people do you know that never, women, that never submitted to their husband and never realized they're fighting a battle and consequences of that sin is following down through their life and they never understood why all the problems happened in their life and it was because they would not submit to their husbands. Or how many husbands didn't understand all the trials and tribulations that come upon them because they didn't love their wife? I mean, it's amazing. God said to do these things and if we don't do it, it's sin. Now, just like right there, we are not to sin. You know the, the word God forbid when he says, can, are we to sin? If when he says God forbid, that means exactly what this brother up here said. No. Cheryl and I was leaving uh, 
Louisiana the other day. We'd been down there teaching in a Baptist college, and we're on the way back to Dallas. She said, honey, look at that sign. Great big billboard over there says, what do you not understand about thou shalt not God? <laughs> what do you not understand about that? Thou shalt not lie. What do you not understand? But Lord, just a little bitty lie. No, not. Thou shalt not steal. What do you not understand about that? And we know there's a whole bunch of them right on down the line, isn't it? Thou shalt not. And somebody said, well, that was back yonder under the law. And we're not under the law. No, we're under grace, and it's a whole lot tougher to walk under grace than it was under the law. Because under the law, God says, you shall not do murder. In other words, that's to premeditate it and go out and kill somebody. You shall not do that. But under grace, he said, if you get angry with your brother, you're guilty of murder. You don't have to commit the act. Under the law, he says, thou shalt not commit adultery. You had to do the act before you were guilty. Under grace, he said, you look at a woman to lust for her in your heart. And it goes the other way for a woman too. She looks at a man to lust. For him in her heart, she's guilty of adultery. And guess what? If you commit those acts, you're going to get a demon. And this is the part that we have not understood. This is the part when he says in verse 16, after he tells us not to sin, Know you not that to whom you yield yourself servants to obey, his servants you are to whom you obey, whether of sin, which leads unto death, or of obedience, which leads unto righteousness and eternal life. Now then, if you yield to the things of sin that the devil will put on you, as you yield to those things, these will bring the curses upon you. And the curses that will come upon you will always have a demon attached to it because when God assigns the curse, when you break His rules, He assigns the curse, and the curse, when it comes upon you, comes with a demon. The demon is the one that comes to start the destruction and the deterioration in your flesh. And that's what causes pain and sickness and disease. And then you yield to that because you don't realize that because you went out last night down there to the bar and you were sitting there drinking a beer, and somebody came in, and you were messing with his wife or talking with her, and he got a little upset with you, and you said, No, I, wasn't, I didn't I had no bad intentions. I'm just talking to your wife. Although he'd been mauling all over her, holding her close, hugging her and kissing her and all them kind of stuff. He's about two-thirds drunk. He's lying. He's committing adultery. He's got everything in his mind and his heart. And he does not realize he's opened the door to a demon, and a demon come in, and then when that man comes down with a serious sickness, he never puts the two together. Never puts it together, but it was not a coincidence that he was sick. Now then, something else, and I minister to people like this all the time that are in the church. You talk to somebody and you say, are you a Christian? Well, yes. Where do you go to church? Well, you know, my wife goes to church. You know, I mean, I send her every Sunday with the kids. 
But you know, I've got to work. You know, I have, I have a job to work on Sunday. Every Sunday? Well, not every Sunday, but once in a while I get a weekend off, and you know, all that extra money I make, I like to take the kids and my wife to the lake, you know. I mean, I couldn't go to church. But you say you're a Christian. Well, yeah, I'm a Christian. And then when he gets 40 or 50 years old, all that money he made, he's laying on his deathbed. Why me, God? Well, Jesus said, did you not read in my word? I said, if you really are my children, I've put you here to produce fruit for the kingdom. And since you're not producing any fruit for the kingdom, I was merciful to you for 20 or 30 years, trying by my spirit to get you back with your wife and your children to produce fruit for the kingdom. But since you didn't, now then, I wrote my answer to you in John 15 too. I told you, I am the vine, you are the branches, and every branch in me that produces no fruit, I cut it off. Now see, you read that and we don't believe that as Christians. If you read those kind of scriptures and you're a Christian and you're not going to church on a regular basis, that ought to scare your socks plumb off of you with your boots still on. I mean, you know, if God, I mean, it's a good thing God's merciful. I told a man last night that told me those very things with his wife standing right there when I said, you know, brother, you need to be in church. And you know what that woman said? She said, listen to him. Listen to him. You need to do what he said. She knew I was right. And I, I was just talking to him. Somebody might say, Thurman, you're preaching to him. You can take it any way you want to. I told that brother, I said, you know, I want you to know I'm not against you. I'm for you. And I love you, and I'm trying to teach you what the Word of God says because I said I have a healing ministry, and I deal with people like you all the time that when they get to be 50 or 60 years old, they've not produced any fruit for the kingdom, and all of a sudden they come down deathly sick, and then they come to my healing school and want to know why I'm sick or why I'm dying at 50 years old. And I said, they meet your criteria. They said they were a Christian, and they absolutely didn't produce any fruit for the kingdom of God. And I said, I see them die all the time. Who did God say He gave you the freedom to serve? Whoever. Can you serve the devil and be a child of God? Yes, you can. Can you serve God and be a child of God? Yes, you can. But He gives you the answer right there in Romans 6, 16. If you serve the devil, what do you say it's going to bring? Death. If you serve Him, it'll bring forth Abundant life and health and prosperity. I don't know about you, but I had a whole lot rather get to be 70, 80, or 90 years old and able to walk and run and play than to die. And even though I got to go to heaven at 40, if I died at 40 because I'd been a disobedient son, I sure really would hate to think about dying at 40 and I had been involved in some kind of gross sin of lying, stealing, cheating. Can you imagine being in a married man and one week your wife's out of town and so you run down to the strip club and you take some girl home that is not your wife and you're 40 years old and you died in her arms and God brought you home and you 
somebody said, Oh, brother, praise God, you got to come to heaven. Well, you're not 40 years old. Where were you when Jesus come got you? How would you like to have that as a testimony? Wouldn't that be a sad state of affairs? But you know, there's a lot of people that have done that. Well, don't be one of them. Don't be one of them. You know, God demands holiness. He demands holiness. Now then, I'm going to take you back to Deuteronomy 27 today. And I want to show you some of the curses that will open the door to the devil. And these things were spoken by God, and they're still here today. And Deuteronomy 27, verse 10, Thou shalt therefore obey the voice of the Lord thy God, and do his commandments and his statutes, which I command you this day. You've got to obey them, don't you? He says, Let's go to verse 15, start with the first curse. Cursed be the man that maketh any graven or molten image. A molten or a graven image, which is an abomination unto the Lord the work of the hands of the craftsman and putteth it in a secret place. Even if you try to hide it. Let me ask you this. Some people think I go a little far out. But let me ask you a question. Is there any pictures of Jesus? Then why do we have them? I wouldn't let somebody, there's a lady come to my church here a while back, said, I have the most beautiful picture of Jesus, and I'd love to give it to this church and hang it on your wall. And I said, I'm not interested. See, but Thurman, this picture came to a very prominent man of God in a dream. I said, I don't care what it comes. You ain't putting no picture of nobody in my church. You can hang your picture up there, but not Jesus's. I said, I will have no pictures or no images in my church under no conditions. Because the Word of God says I'll be cursed if I do that. I had another woman come to me one time after I taught these things. She came to me and said, Sir, I've got something to confirm what you said. I said, What's that? She said, I bought the most beautiful picture of Jesus in a store, in a Christian bookstore. And I hung it in the foyer entryway into my home. She said, every time I come in my front door, I'd stop and just look at that beautiful picture of Jesus. And I'd think what he'd done for me on the cross. She said, one day I was sitting there with tears in my eyes looking at that picture. And she said, the Lord spoke to me. He said, if you keep looking at that picture, you're not going to know who I am when I come. She said, I took that picture down and burned it. <laughs> Isn't that amazing? Did anybody ever take a picture of Jesus? No, there ain't no pictures of Jesus. So why don't we put some picture of some man up? That'd be just like taking a picture of you or me and putting it up and say, that's Jesus. No, that ain't Jesus. This is Thurman. Yeah, he's got Christ in him, but he ain't Jesus. So if you want to put somebody's picture on the wall, don't call it Jesus. 
because it's not Jesus. What did he say will happen to you if you put one on there? He says you'll be cursed. I don't want to break any of his rules. So that's why I wouldn't allow a picture of Jesus in my church. I just don't believe in pictures of Jesus. It's amazing. Then he says, verse 16, Curse be he that setteth light by his father or his mother, and all the people shall say, and curse be he that removeth his neighbor's landmark. Curse be he that maketh the blind to wander out of the way. Curse be he that perverteth the judgment of the stranger, or the fathers and the widow. Verse 20, Curse be he that lieth with his father's wife. There's the first sexual sin. Cursed be he that lieth with his father's wife, because he uncovers his father's skirt. Verse 21, Cursed be he that lieth with any manner of a beast. Sexual sin with an animal. I know of a man that had lost his mind. He had a wife and, I forget now, three or four children. It had been normal till he was about 45. At 45, this man began to have mental breakdowns, and he finally wound up in a mental institution. Finally, one day, there was a man of God down there talking to this man, and as in one of his moments when he could talk a little, he was just reading the Word of God to this man. And he read that scripture. Cursed be he that, in other words, lieth or has sex with an animal, with a beast. And he said, could that be my problem? He said, what do you mean? He said, when I was a young boy, out on the farm, I had sex with a sheep. Didn't realize that put him under a curse. The man repented. The man of God that was with him cast a demon of curse out of him, and that man was completely restored and made normal. And last time I heard from him, he was never back in that mental institution. That demon of curse had put him in a mental institution, unable to do anything by the time he was 45, but yet he was like 15 or 16 when he committed the sin. Isn't that amazing? Bestiality. Have a sexual relationship with an animal. Will open the door for a demon to come in to destroy your flesh. Verse 22, Cursed be he that lieth with his sister. wonder how many young boys have had sex with their sisters when mom and daddy's not at home. You know, they put them under a curse. Cursed be he that lieth with his sister, the daughter of his father, or the daughter of his mother. So he pretty well covers whether you've got a half-sister, a quarter-sister, or whatever. It covers it. On either side of the family, God knew there was going to be children 
be raised up in families and mothers and fathers were going to divorce and then they were going to move into a home and now then you're a boy and you got a sister from another woman or whatever and she's really not your sister at all but she's still going to be your sister through a marriage and if you have sex with her you're going to be under a curse kind of scary isn't it read the word Cursed be he that lieth with his mother-in-law. Cursed be he that lieth or smiteth his neighbor secretly. Cursed be he that taketh reward to slay an innocent person. But cursed be he that confirmeth not all the words of this law to do them, and all the people shall say, Amen. Now then, who allows the curse to come upon you? You do. You sin. When you sin, you open the door to the curse. Who speaks the curse? God does. He says, you are cursed. Right here, God spoke these things. And when he speaks the curse on you, who is it that has legal right or freedom now to run and get you and to torment you? The devil. The devil. Now then, when you go down through and you read all of these things, then right there at the end of chapter 27, the Lord puts the summary of the Abrahamic covenant in there to tell you what will happen if you're obedient. And that's where everybody wants to live. But everybody wants to do all these sins, but yet live in the first 14 verses of Deuteronomy 28. You can't do it. You can't do it. You have to obey. Does that mean I couldn't? I couldn't even have sex with my sister just once or twice during her life till I got grown? What do you think that means? No. That's absolutely right. What this young lady No. You cannot be involved in sexual sin. You're going to get a demon. A curse is going to come upon you. And somebody said, well, but that happened to me. I did that with my sister. Or whatever. Or I had a man tell me this the other day. He was a good-looking young man. He said, Thurman, I was a virgin. And he said, I was raised in the right kind of home. But he said, it was a beautiful girl in college. And I started going with her. And this boy played football. He was well-known. He was a handsome young man. I mean, boy, physically fit, everything. Very attractive young man. And this beautiful young girl. She came up to him and asked him for a date. And he said, well, okay. You know, he was kind of a good backwoods country Christian type boy that had been raised up kind of, you know, he'd been homeschooled a whole lot. And this girl, he said, when we went out on a date, said, man, it's like she attacked me. I never had a woman. He said, she's all over me. She's kissing me. She's touching me. She's doing that. I said, whoa, what is wrong with you, girl? And she said, I won't have sex with you. He said, man, I don't do those kind of things. She said, I want you to be my boyfriend, but you got to have sex with me. Now, a young 25-year-old young virgin male with a beautiful girl all over him. You know how hard it is for him to say no? And he didn't make it. He said yes, and he yielded. And then he and I had a talk. I told him, I said, you brought a curse upon you. I said, now you're going to... 
you have brought a curse upon you. And I said, you're going to have to repent. I said, you better be glad you're on this side of the cross. He said, what do you mean? I said, if you and that girl had done that on the other side of the cross, I said, your penalty would have been stoning until dead. But I said, now, praise God, you can be redeemed. But I said, you have to get rid of that girl. I said, I'm going to tell you what that girl's got. He said, what? I said, she has a demon of lust. Somewhere along the line, she was either abused or something, but that girl got a demon of lust, and she cannot control her physical desires. So I said, you're going to have to repent, and you're going to have to not go with that girl no more. I said, because if you do, I said, I'm going to guarantee you that girl don't just do that to you. She does that to other boys. And he said, a few days later, he said, she was such a beautiful girl. I thought, oh, God, you know, I'd love to go with her. You know, I just wish she wasn't like that. You know, she's a beautiful girl. He had been a virgin until he met her. And he fell. And he said, Lord, maybe she would be pure to me. You know, Lord, if I went with her and, and if I was the only boy who had a relation with her, maybe she would be pure to me. So he said, a few days later, I was driving down the road. And he said, the Lord spoke to me. Just as clear as a bell. He's a fine Christian man. And he said, son, Mary is over behind the gym with Jack Stone, and they're involved right now. He said, I thought, this can't be true. She's supposed to be my girlfriend. So he said, I couldn't stand myself. I drove, turned around, drove back down there, drove around behind the gym, and when my headlights flashed across, there was him and her right there. You think God don't know what every one of you is doing everywhere you're doing it? He spoke to that son and told him, that girl is over behind the gym, told, her, told him the girl's name, who the boy she was with, and exactly where she was. And he turned around, went over and flashed those lights, and there him and her were right there in that car doing exactly what God told him she was doing. He said, she's not the woman for you. She's not the one I've chosen for you. So he said, I turned around. said, the next day she come begging me. She said, I'm so sorry. I love you. I want to be with you. I'll never do those kind of things again. He said, no, I will never, ever, ever date you again, ever. And then this last week when I was down in Florida, some of the young ladies, probably 16, 17, 18-year-old girls, come to me and said, Mr. Scrivener, we heard your testimony about how God put you and your wife together. What should we do to look for our husbands? I said, first thing you need to do is you need to make a covenant between you and God that you will absolutely keep yourself pure and clean and you will never date. They said, what? I said, that's right. Never date. Go to God and say, Lord, I'm going to keep myself clean and pure, and I'm going to ask you, Father, in Jesus' name, to bring me the right mate, the perfect one for me. When you're ready, I will not go out and date. I will not look. 
I'll just trust you. I'll be about your business. I'll study your word. I'll go to church. I'll do everything I'm supposed to. I'll walk holy before you. And the day that you bring the man to me that's going to be my mate, I expect the day when I turn the corner and look, I'm going to expect you to say, that's her or that's him. And I'm going to hear that. You know why I can tell people those kind of things now? Because that's how this woman came to me. I told God, you know, uh, four years ago, after Betty died, I said, Lord, I'll never remarry. I will not go with the women. I will not look for one. I will never remarry except under one condition. And that's if you tell me, and you're to tell me audibly who the woman is going to be I'm supposed to marry. Otherwise, I will never date. I'll never look for a woman. Well, on the 26th of April this last year, Cheryl had a dream that she's supposed to marry me. The next morning, I woke up with her laying in my bed, it looked like. When I opened my eyes, right there was her face right there. And, of course, it so startled me, I jumped back. And, of course, when I told her about it later, she said, what did my hair look like? <laughs> I said, honey, are you kidding? I wasn't even looking at hair. I, lo I looked over my eyes and looked right into the eyes of a woman. I was in bed asleep. I thought you were laying there beside me. I said, I didn't have time to look to see what your hair looked like. I was out of that bed. I jumped up. Doesn't that sound just like a woman? What my hair looked like? Was I pretty? <laughs> I said, I jumped out of that bed, and I said, Lord, what are you trying to show me? What's this? What is this Cheryl laying here in my bed? What's he said, son, she's going to be your wife. So that night at Bible study, we went out to have a cup of tea together. First time I'd been out with a woman at all. And I didn't go with, I mean, she drove her car down to the restaurant and followed me. And she went in, I went in, we went in, I bought her, we ordered us a cup of hot tea, and asked her why. I first asked her if she would like to work for me, and she said she would. And then we went down to the restaurant to talk about it. So I said, why would you like to work for me, Cheryl? Did you have a word from the Lord? And she said, I did. And I said, well, what was it? And she said, well, it was a little too personal for me to tell you. And I said, no, I don't care how personal it was. I want to know what God told you. And she said, well, okay, Thurman, I'll tell you. She said, last night I had a dream, and in the dream I wasn't working for you. I was married to you. I said, oh. I said, well, this morning I woke up with a vision of you. I didn't tell her right then that she was laying in my bed. But I said, I woke up with a vision of you. And when I got up, I asked God what he's trying to tell me. And he said, you were going to be my wife. So I said, how would you like to come into the ministry with me as my full-time helpmate and be my bride? And she reached across the table and took my hand and said, I would love it. And that's how we got engaged. And then we started dating after we were engaged. Now see, if, you're, if you will seek God and ask Him for the right mate, He will always give you the right person. If you go out and start scoping out the field, you're going to make mistakes. You're going to make mistakes. The devil's going to come to you. He's going to put the wrong people in your path. Some of you will wind up in bed with somebody out of wedlock, which will open the door to the devil. Or some of you will get pregnant out of wedlock, and you'll bring children in a world that you didn't want. And when you didn't want them, the spirit of rejection will be upon those children from the womb.
and they'll live a life of hell on earth. So, don't let these curses come upon you. Don't yield your members to the wrong God. If you are a born-again Christian, yield your members to the Lord Jesus Christ and His commandments and walk holy before Him. And therefore, no curse can come upon you if you don't sin. Now, that's where we all want to live, right? If you want to live in health and be prosperous, you've got to do it God's way. You've got to do it God's way. Now, then you have to pray over everything. Just like also this last week while I was in Florida, this Baptist pastor and his wife have started their own little business. And she said, you know, my problem is, I mean, I'd go to the, we'd had a little problem come in, and she said, I would go to the post office, and I said, I guess I got another post office box full of problems today to solve. So she said, I'd go, and said, there'd be a couple more. And she said, see just what I said. You know, I've got all these problems. said, I am working myself into the ground trying to solve all these problems. So she said, I guess tomorrow the mailbox will be full of problems. You see anything this woman's doing wrong? What is she doing wrong? What is her problem? It's right. It's one inch under her nose. It's her mouth. Is she a Christian? Yes. Is she a pastor's wife? Yes. Is she a beautiful woman? Yes. They have three beautiful children. But what's the problem? Her speaking. I told her, I said, ma'am, your problem is your tongue. I said, you're going, you don't realize, you have not realized that Jesus said you can have whatever you say with your mouth. I see, brother, just like your testimony, thank God that you had a woman that said, I don't believe your report. I believe God's report. Or whatever it is, or vertebrae's ruptured, or whatever, and he probably won't live. He might, but if he does, he won't never walk again. If she had walked out there and started calling all her friends, oh, my goodness, pray for my husband, he's probably not going to live. He's probably not going to And if he does live, he'll be a vegetable. He don't never walk again. And the people say, well, you know, if he's not going to be no better than that, just let him go ahead and go home to be with Jesus. And people do that, right? We don't believe these promises in God's Word. Oh, I mean, he's got a good woman, does he? He Oh, I mean, so see, that's why you need to be very careful who you're married to, right? You need to make sure you've got a woman of God. Somebody comes up and says, your husband ain't going to make it. She said, don't you, don't you talk them negative words around here. That's what she was doing, right? Bold as a lion. Now then, in other words, if you haven't heard our teaching on you, con you possess what you confess, I've got some, Cheryl brought some of those CDs, DVDs back there because this is the most important thing you need to learn as a Christian. God has given you and me all the power under the new covenant to speak our own world into existence. And you and your wife did that. Your wife confessed the right thing. She never believed the doctor's report. She believed what God said, that nothing's impossible with him. And that she was a daughter of the king and you were a son of the king. And if you two could agree on anything, it's done. In the name of Jesus. And that, brother, is why your spinal cord is put back together. That's why you're walking. That's why you could come up here and stand on your head. 
That's why you can do all the things you can do because y'all's confession of the Word of God was correct. But the secret of that is it didn't happen overnight. That's the same way with my granddaughter. I confessed the same things and it didn't happen overnight. But it happened. Just like this brother up here. He said he stopped when the devil come upon him a few years ago and tried to take him out. He stood on the Word. You know that it didn't happen overnight with him either, but he overcome that beast. Walked holy before God and overcome the devil. And now then, here he is, a healthy, uh, handsome young man up here, and there you are over there. Same thing. You know, strong men of God that can get up and go because you didn't believe the report of the enemy. You believed the report of God. Now, that's what we have to get as Christians. We have to realize that if we've made a mistake in life, and I hate to say this, but since we're not taught these things very well, there's probably not one single person in the church today that's not under some kind of a curse unless they've come to a point where they realize they don't have to be under it and then they've claimed a redemption from it and they've broken it. Now, a couple of months ago, we had right here at this healing school a little family that also had, that had been at the Amber Rose Conference. And that man and woman, and they were here, and they had four little girls. And the mother and three of those little girls out of the four were under a curse. Now, how the fourth one escaped it, I don't know. But three of them were under it, and, and the mother was under it. And if they eat anything wheat, they immediately begin to bleed internally. The mother said it would take... She said, I lived in fear that I would eat anything that had wheat in it because the minute I started eating something that's got wheat in it, she said, I could take one bite of wheat toast and I could bleed internally for two months. I said, that's just a demon. That's what that is. You're giving legal right to a demon, a demon of curse. And I said, y'all are not under the curse no more. You're all children of the king. I took them to Galatians chapter 3, verse 13, 14, and 15, and showed them where Christ has redeemed you and me from the curse. Now, once you and I repent for our sins, I don't care what you've done as a young man, a young woman, I don't care what kind of sin you've been involved in since you have made Jesus your Lord and Savior, if you acknowledge that sin to the Lord and ask Him to forgive you, will He forgive you? Isn't He a gracious God? But you know, after we repent of our sin, what does He expect us not to do? Not sin again. I said, don't have to come back to me next Saturday and say, well, Lord, I went out and did it again. No, that's not what He wants. But if you will repent and walk holy before Him, then He will forgive you for whatever sin you committed. All these curses we talked about here a while ago, just a few of them, but if you, if you continue to read in Deuteronomy and you read the first 14 verses in Deuteronomy, you find the promises of the blessings, which is where all of us want to live. But if you start in verse 15, he says, if you won't obey me, then these curses, and all the way up to about 60-something verses, he tells you what will happen. And he names every kind of sickness and every kind of disease and every kind of wasting disease, every kind of uh, cancer. Uh, everything you can imagine, and then I think it's in verse 61 or something like that, he said, and if I missed any, all these other curses that I didn't name and all these other sicknesses and diseases that I didn't name 
will come up on you to destroy you if you continue to walk in disobedience to my word. That's kind of scary, isn't it? But see, the people don't read that and they don't believe it. But thank goodness on this side of the cross, if you've done any of those dumb things, which nearly everybody has, if you've done any of those dumb things, you come to the Lord, you get on your face before Him and say, Lord, I'm sorry, I repent. I will never do those stupid things again. I will have nothing to do with all these sins of lying, stealing, cheating, committing adultery, fornication, all that stuff. Lord, I now realize that sin that puts me under a curse. I'm never going to do that again. I'm going to walk holy in your presence and in your sight. Will he forgive you? Of course he will. Thank goodness he will. Then, by faith, you have to come to Galatians chapter 3, just like this little family did. And I told those children and that mother and all of them, I said, now then, that you've repented of all your sins of unbelief. Now, see, there's another sin you've got to repent of. Because most people don't know that the sin of unbelief or the promises of God puts an evil heart of unbelief in you, and that will prevent you from receiving what God has given to us on this side of the cross. You've got to get rid of that sin of unbelief. The sin of unbelief is an evil heart in Hebrews 3.12. So you don't want an evil heart of unbelief. God has made all these wonderful promises for you and me as his children so we can live in divine health. But if you're one of those kind of guys, you know, that the devil has cheated you and he's got you out of church and you've not gone to church and, or maybe went to church a little, maybe one every Sunday. Most people consider you pretty faithful if you're in church every Sunday morning. But Monday through Saturday, you never read the Word, never talked to God, you didn't have time for Him. You kind of went out to parties and caroused a little and drank a little and smoked a little and cussed a little and played around a little and all those kind of things that a lot of people say they're Christians do. Let me tell you, I'm going to guarantee somewhere along the line those demons that you're opening the door to is coming into is going to torment you. They're going to afflict you. They're going to cause problems. They're going to cause back problems, leg problems. I mean, headaches, pains, suffering all over your body. And you know, we're so dead to the things of the Spirit today, we just think that's just a normal way of life. Just like Sherry just told that testimony when she just carried her grandbaby around on her side. The devil thought, you know, I'll just put a little pain on her side because she'll think it's because, oh, maybe it's things because she's getting a little older. Getting old, you know, a grandmother. And, you know, that's just something you have to bear when you get to be a grandmother. That's just normal, you know. So don't worry about trying to cast this pain out. Because, you know, after all, you know you're old. <laughs> He'll do that too, won't he, Sherry? He'll put those pains on you. You heard her say, she almost got to the top of the stairs with that pain in her side before she realized that's a devil trying to put that pain on her. And then, of course, she's got a very spiritual husband. And guess what she did? She went to the right source. She goes to her priest, which is her husband which is walking in obedience to the word and tells him, you drive out this devil and you heard what happened. He laid his hands on her, commanded the thing to leave, thank you, Lord, and turned and walked off. 
And what's he saying? One minute or less, the pain was gone. Since we have some older grandmothers and grandfathers here today, I'll tell this story. This happened in my church here not long ago. A man came up and said, i got to give a testimony. I said, yes, sir, come on up. And he came up and he said, you see that woman right back there? I said, yes, sir. He said, I've been married to that woman 50 years. I said, well, praise God. Thank you, Lord. been married to her 50 years. He said, a couple weeks ago, me and her had a little disagreement. Now, I know none of y'all ever had one of those. He said, I went to bed that night mad. Now, what did Jesus tell you not to do? Don't go to bed angry lest you give place to who? Now, what is it we don't understand about that? How many of y'all besides me has been guilty of going to bed angry? <laughs> Unfortunately, come on, brother, Henry, you're being a liar here. <laughs> That'll get you in trouble, too. Might as well tell the truth. All of us done these dumb, stupid things. That's why we're here today working together as a body of Christ. Learning how not to do that no more, right? So he said, I went to bed angry. said, I woke up the next morning and I couldn't hardly walk. My back was hurting. My leg was hurting. And I got up and thought, oh, I can't even get into the coffee table. He said, again, it's a wow. And he said, hey, he said, I've been going to Thurman's church. He says, that's a demon. He said, you devil of hell, I command you to come out of me. Oh, he said, oh, that, that. He said, oh man, I shouldn't have said that. <laughs> so he said, I got over there and I sat down at the coffee table and I thought, now, Lord, what did I do wrong? And he said, this thought come to me just as clear. He said, Thurman said, repent first. Uh-oh. He said, oh, yeah, right, God, that's what you said. I got to repent. Lord, I'm sorry I got mad at my wife last night. Now I rebuke that devil commanding to come out of me. Oh, he said, oh, that, he said that, that's still the wrong thing. What did I do wrong now? He said, I told you to love her. Oh, God, okay, Lord, I'm sorry. He said, honey, will you forgive me? I love you. And he said, after we got right, he said, then I said, okay, now you devil of hell leave. And he said, bam, it left just like that. <laughs> Woo! Isn't that amazing? You know when God said love that woman, you know what he meant? He meant love that woman, didn't he? And when, it, when you get a curse upon you and a demon comes in you, and that demon says, oh, you're going to try to get that done, you still got a grudge against that woman? He said, don't you dare command me to come out or I'll put some hurt on you. Isn't that amazing? Now, that man and woman had to be in their 70s. But he said, I guarantee I ain't going to get out of a love relationship with that girl no more. Can God get your attention? He can allow a demon to get your attention, can't he? I guarantee. I'm telling you, you know what? That, that, that had for everybody in my church that was listening that day, if they'll listen and think, that's got to have an impact on you. If God says, husbands, love your wives, or your prayers will be hindered. You think he meant that, brother? So guess what you and me got to do to these women God give us? Got to love them. Got to love them. Whether you want to or not, on them days when they ain't lovable, you still love them. <laughs> you love them. And if you love them and really love them, they won't have very many days they're not lovable. You know that? Usually the problem is you and me. 
That's usually the problem. God tells us exactly what to do here. All these things, now then, when we learn all these things, just like whenever that man that had been sick for all those years, 38 or 40 years, when Jesus comes to him and said, do you want to be made whole? He said, Lord, I mean, he said, whenever the angel comes to stir the water, there's nobody to put me down in the water. Somebody else always goes in before me. Jesus says, take up your bed and walk. And so the man takes up his bed. Now, he could have looked up and said, but Lord, I'm sick. I hurt. I'm weak. I can't walk. So he could have made that choice, couldn't he? But when Jesus said, take up your bed and walk, the man got up and did what Jesus told him to do. And later when he come back to him, he said, now then, brother, stop sinning or something worse is going to come up on you. I don't know what it is. I, I read that as a Baptist all those years, and it's like that didn't mean what it said. I thought, well, that was just for him. But no, he's talking about every one of us. When you sin, what are you doing? Opening the door to the curse. And if you open the door to the curse, sickness and disease comes upon you. Proverbs 26, 2. No curse comes upon you undeserved. Ooh, what does that mean? That means the devil can't just come over here and say, you know, I just hate the way you look today. You ain't had no sin today at all, but I'm just going to take you out. Bam. He'd love to do that, wouldn't he? He'd love that. But he's over here with his fiery darts drawn and saying, just go ahead and sin. I can't turn loose of this till you sin. But when you do, I got you. Isn't that awesome? What does the Lord tell us to do? Put on all of the armament of God. Let's go look at some of that to see how we're going to overcome this beast in Ephesians chapter 6. Let's go to Ephesians chapter 6 and let's look and see how we're going to overcome this beast so we don't have to get these fiery darts put in us. Now, these fiery darts are sickness and disease and pain and suffering. These fiery darts are wicked. Ephesians 6. Let's start with verse 1. Children, obey your parents and the Lord, for that is right. What does the Lord say to children? Obey your parents. You think he's just talking? Huh? Oh, he's not just talking. He means what he says. Honor your father and your mother, which is the first commandment with promise. And here's the promise. That it may be well with you and that you may live long on the earth. How many of us want to live long and it go well with us on the earth? How long are you considered a child? Till you're 20 or till you die? Till you die. I don't care if you're 50, 60, 70, 80, 90. I don't care if you're this little young lady right here which told us a while ago she's 91. She's still a child. More than likely her parents are gone. But if you were 60 
and you had parents that were 80, you're still to honor your mother and father, or the consequence will still come upon you. Here's something I've noticed. In a few cases, I've seen this. Two boys raised up in a family, two or three years apart. One of them, the, say the younger one, he is so uh, disobedient. He does not honor his mother and his father. He don't want to do nothing they tell him. But the older one, he did. They grow up. The one that was totally disobedient always has little problems in his life. Car breaks down more often. House gets broken into more often. All kinds of things. Never understand why John never had those problems, but Jack has all these problems. And then one day, the younger one at 45 comes down with a terminal disease. There's no way you can get him healed, and he dies. But the one that was totally obedient to parents and honored them lived to be 80 in total health. Never put it together. But because one of them was honored, obedient and honored to mother and father, and the other one was disobedient and didn't honor mother and father, but with God said it, it means it. You see where I'm coming from? It's amazing how it works. God says, I am no respecter of persons. I watch over my word to perform my word. So, children, and all of us are children, obey your parents. Be good to your mother and your father. Now, you may have a mother and father that may not be very good to you, but that don't make any difference. If you want a long life, you better be good to them. Honor them and obey them. Obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and your mother, which is the first commandment with promise, that it may be well with thee, and that you may live long on the earth. I want to live long on the earth, don't you? So these three little tykes over here at the healing school today, you got to honor your mama and your daddy, don't you? You have to obey them and do it in love. Don't let mama have to get on you. Go down and say, Mama, I cleaned my room for you in advance today. I know you like clean, so I clean my room, Mama. Did I do good today? Ooh, Mama says, did you ever do good? Come over here, let me give you an extra hug and kiss today. Ooh. It's easy to get them hugs and kisses when you do things without having to be told. But you know what happens when you don't do things you're told? Even on earth. Sometimes Daddy has to get us bored. I hope none of y'all have ever been spanked, but i got a feeling you probably have. I hope not. We won't get into this too personal here. <laughs> but I know I had to be spanked a few times growing up. But you know, after my daddy spanked me with that razor trap two or three times, I realized there was a consequence of sin and I didn't like it. So it made me straighten up a little more. Y'all know where I'm coming from? I mean, if God, I mean, if we as parents know how to do these things to drive the evil from our children, and God made all these rules, do you think He just sat back in heaven saying, "Go ahead and do what you want to do. Ain't gonna be no consequence." Let me tell you, He watches over His word, and He performs it, and He don't care who you are. 
He don't care whether you're... They don't nothing. It makes no difference what he got. You, all you got to do is be a human being. And these things happen. Then he says, And you fathers provoke not your children to wrath, but bring them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. Oh, now there's a requirement for the daddy. He's to be the kind, gentle daddy too. And if he doesn't, he will be reprimanded from the Lord. You need to be that good, kind daddy. That does what the Lord says. Servants, be obedient to them that are your masters according to the flesh with fear and trembling and singleness of your heart as unto Christ. He's giving you a picture right there of a servant on earth, how you are to be obedient to your master and you're to do it with fear and trembling. Who is mine and your master, brother? The Father, right? We need to obey His Word in fear and trembling. Although you and me may be grown men, we're still children, aren't we? We're children. And He expects you and me to walk in obedience to this Word. And when we do, I can guarantee you the promises of God, I'll show you what they'll do, they will bring upon you health and long life. And you don't have to have no sickness and no disease. And if you've not known these things and you've lived in sin, we can show you where God will forgive you and restore you. And He'll do it. Now, sometimes it don't happen immediately. Sometimes it takes a little while. But He will do it. And that's the beautiful part. If you will continue to walk in obedience. Now, I've known of people that came to healing schools and realized their sin. They got their sins taken care of. They repented. And some of them I've seen healed anywhere from instantaneously to three, four, six months. I've seen those people get well. And then in one or two or three years, I see them and they're worse than they were before. And I say, what is wrong with you? Well, I don't know, Thurman. This sin came back. I mean, this sickness came back upon me. I said, did you go back to your old ways of sin? Well, I mean, you know, I mean, I thought just once in a while it wouldn't hurt. Are we stupid? Yeah, we are really stupid. We are really, really stupid. Really. I'll tell you one for sure, and I know this woman, and she's a very spiritual woman, and she has a healing ministry. And a woman came to her, and she had a very critical illness. And when she came to the woman, the Lord spoke to the spiritual woman as the woman approached her and said, I'm going to tell you what's wrong with that, my daughter that's coming up to you. This is wild. She said the reason she has this sickness in her flesh is because she fantasizes about a movie star when she sleeps with her husband. And this woman just looked at her and told her, said, I know what's wrong with you. You have a certain sickness, and that was exactly what it was, and said, when you sleep with your husband, you fantasize about a movie star, and his name is so-and-so. And the woman was blown away. She said, nobody knows that. She said, God does, and he just told me. That's kind of like the, the young man I was talking to that he thought he could trust that girl, and God told him that she 
was, is, was in so-and-so behind, behind the gym right now. And he goes around and there they were. You think God don't know everything? I'm telling you, I'll tell you just like I told that man last night, that man as I was talking about, he's not in church and his wife is and she knew he needed to be, but he wouldn't and everything. And I told him, I said, you know, we really are pretty stupid. We really are. Because if here we are professing to be Christians and God give us an owner's manual and we've allowed the devil to deceive us and keep us out of church so he'll get legal right to us. And therefore we have no idea of these mighty promises of God. So when the devil comes upon us, we don't know how to fight the battle. And so he takes us out. And we die prematurely. That's what's wrong with us. I know I was one of those all my life until I began to read the book for myself. And when you read the book for yourself, you think, there's some pretty stiff requirements in here, isn't there? But he didn't never give us something to do we can't do. So then he says here, we serve him with fear and trembling, and not with just eye service as men pleasers, but as the servants of Christ, doing the will of God from the heart, with good will doing service as to the Lord and not to men. That's the way we should do everything, as if we're doing it unto the Lord. Where you work, I don't care what you do. I don't care if you're a housewife, which is a very, very important job. I don't care if you're a professional secretary. I don't care if you're a, a lawyer, a doctor, a mechanic, a plumber, or whatever you're doing. You should do everything as unto the Lord and not unto men. You should never cut any job you do short. You should do it as perfect as you can as unto the Lord. When you get through, you ought to say, Lord, what do you think about this? Is this okay? And you ought to say, I, I passed that. That's good. You've done the best you could with the abilities I've given you. Yes, I am pleased with that. That's the way we should do everything we do. And of course, everything we do, we should come to it saying, Father, in the name of Jesus, I need knowledge and wisdom to do this as unto you. Now, where are all the treasures and secrets of the universe hidden? In Christ. And where is Christ? In you. Colossians chapter 2, verse 3. Colossians chapter 2, verse 3. I had a lady one time say, Thurman, I've heard you say many times, all the treasures and mysteries and secrets of the universe are hidden in Christ. And she said, where in the world? I've read my Bible from cover to cover and I can't find it. I said, well, it's in Colossians chapter 2, verse 3. And she went over and she said, there it is. There it is. Colossians 1.27 says, This is the mystery that was hidden before the foundations of the world, Christ in you, the hope of glory. So see, if he's in you, once you become a born-again Christian, if Christ is in you, he's right there with you, watching you anyway, isn't he? So you need to do everything you do as unto the Lord. And when you do it, He's there to bless your socks off. Don't ever try to do anything without asking God. Nothing. I'm serious. Don't do anything without thinking and asking the Lord to help you. You know, when you get up in the morning, a father should pray a blessing over his children today and ask the Lord to bless them, give them knowledge, wisdom, and understanding of how to do the things they need to do. And then he needs to ask the Father in the name of Jesus to keep them safe from the evil beast that's out there. 
send warring angels to protect them so they don't have to suffer the consequences of the world. Because we're not of the world. We're supposed to be different. But we only have access to the throne of grace when we pray. When we pray, we walk right in. And he's there to willingly answer our prayers. Don't do anything. You ready to go shopping? Ask the Lord. Lord, should I go shop and buy these new clothes today? If you'd have done that up front, you wouldn't have gotten in trouble. He could have blessed you. You could have said, oh, no, daughter, don't go today. Wait till two days or three days or whatever it is now, and that'll be the perfect day. And you go down there, and by the way, you get there, and they have a drawing and give you a little deal and draw your name, and you get the $250 worth of free clothes. Isn't that awesome? See, ask God. Don't do nothing without that. Don't even go shopping. Learn to ask Him, Lord, what should I buy today for the pantry at home? Ask Him for everything you do. It's just like a young man the other day was talking to me. He said, you know, he said, this is so real. He said, I, I was completely out of money. My wife and I, and I we had a couple of children, and said we were completely out of money. And I'm thinking, I, no, that's not completely. He had like, I forget, only $4 or what, just nearly nothing. And he's got to feed his family today. He said, i got to go to the grocery store and see what I can possibly buy to feed my family with today. He said, Father, in Jesus' name, help me get the right stuff. So he said, I got in the car and started to drive across the street because they're close because I don't have any gas. And the Lord says, don't go there. Go down the street three blocks to Kroger. He said, Lord, I'm out, almost out of gas. They're just right across the street. Now then he's got a choice to make. What's he going to do? Obey God? Or are you going to do what he thinks is right? He said, I heard that so clear. And I thought, okay, Lord, I have no idea why you want me to go three blocks when I can drive right across there. He drove down three blocks, walked in, and when he walked in the door, the Lord says, go back to the meat department. He thought, what? So he said, I go back there, and they had chicken that day. And he said they had these huge packages for 99 cents a piece. He said there were like five or six pound packages. They only had a few of them. And he said, I, I forget what had happened, why they had those there. Maybe it was a day old or something. I don't remember. But he said, there they were. And he said, I had enough money to buy them all. He said, it fed my whole family for a week. And then they got even knew where the chicken was on sale. <laughs> now, how many times have we missed the blessings of God because we don't ask him to direct us? Oh, that's okay, God. I'm smart enough. I know where to go. He said, okay, go do it yourself if you want to. Will he let you and me do it ourselves? Yes, he would. Did he tell us a while ago we can choose whichever one we want? No. Yeah, we can mess it up all by ourselves big time. So if you'll just be obedient to ask God for everything you do, learn to pray like the Scripture says about everything and all things and don't do nothing without prayer. How many of you in this room have, have went out as a young person, went out in the world and looked for the person you were going to spend your life with and never asked God one time to direct you? Isn't it amazing how we do those things? And ha isn't it amazing how many times we go wrong? In fact, <laughs> last night at the class reunion, some of the people, i never seen them before, but Cheryl's 40th class reunion, there was 
a man there that said, yeah, I got married, and I married a woman. I've been married to her all these years. But he said, I married the wrong woman. He knew that. But you know what? I can guarantee you that man still has never learned where the answers are in life. I can tell by talking to him, he has never come to know these promises about the only way you can make the right decision is it be revolved around this book, the Word of the Living God. When you let God do things through prayer, you will never mess up. You'll never make the wrong choice. God will never make the wrong choice. I don't care if you go to my house. This is what we are. We drive down the street, and you, I catch a house, and you say, that's got to be the one I want right there. You go in and look at it, and it looks perfect. You think, this is it. And God is in the background screaming, no! <laughs> and you say, there's something back here. You know, look, let me throw that out. This, I know this is the house I want. And you buy that house. And then you find out that the foundation's broke. And you have to spend water, and then the water line breaks next week underneath the slab. And first they know you spent thirty, forty, fifty thousand dollars on this house, and then you're screaming, "Why does all this stuff happen to me?" I tell you why, because you didn't ask God. You did it on your own. Now then, some people in the church did not realize that God talks. They never listen to him. They don't know he talks, but he does. I'll tell you how wonderful it is to, to stay in tune with God and to hear His voice. This is a, a magnificent event that happened in Cheryl's and I's life just a few months ago. I was making radio shows till about 12:20 in the morning, and I got tired, and I went to bed. Her and her daughter Christy were getting all their equipment ready because they were going to have to drive it to California. They had a, a big singing event for a big corporation in a big hotel for a big company event, and they were going to be the entertainers, singers out there. So they were getting things ready to go the next morning to uh, California or Reno, I guess it was Lake Tahoe, whatever it was. And anyway, so they were out extremely late. And the night before, a couple of nights before, she got her car stuck in some mud, had mud all over it. And so I'm laying there in bed asleep, and all of a sudden I hear the Lord say, Thurman. And I turned and I said, Yes, Lord. And immediately showed me a vision or a dream. And coming down 26 was Cheryl in her car. And she pulled into the car wash to wash her car. And two men attacked her. And I was wide awake when that dream. And I reached over to feel her side of the bed. And she wasn't there. And I said, she's not home yet. I reached over and pushed my telephone. And it said 1.54 a.m. I reached over and pushed her button and immediately. She said, oh, honey, she said, you still up? I said, well, I wasn't. But I said, I'm wide awake now. I said, where are you? She said that we got all the equipment loaded and we're on I'm on 26. I'm just five minutes from the gas station. I'm going to pull in and fill the car for gas. I'll be ready to go in the morning. And then I'm going to pull right down the street to the car wash and I'm going to wash my car before I come home tonight. I said, you ain't washing no car tonight. <laughs> she said, what do you mean? I said, I just saw two men attack you in a vision. God just spoke to me, woke me up and told you, told me those two men were going to attack you. 
she said, I'm not even going to stop for gas. I'll be right home. And she came home, and we lay there in that bed together and worshiped the Lord for an hour and a half before we could go to sleep again. Now, what will God do if you're walking in obedience to His Word? He, in other words, then, I want to show you, right there in Ephesians, hold your finger that and turn to Psalms 91. And I'm going to show you what the King will do for you if you will be obedient to do what He says. Psalms 91. Now, there's requirements for Him to talk to you. And this is what so many people have not realized. I didn't realize these things for many years. But in Psalms 91, the Word of God says, He that dwelleth in the secret place of the Most High. Well, how do you dwell in the secret place of the Most High? You spend time with Him. You love Him. How do you dwell with your husband? You spend time with Him, right? That's absolutely right. That's the way you do it with God. You read His Word. You study. And you talk to Him. You pray to Him. He that dwelleth in the secret place of the Most High shall abide under the shadow of the Almighty. And then he says, I will say of the Lord, He is my refuge, He is my strength, and He's my fortress, He's my God, in Him will I trust. So, you know, here's, here's what we do. You see a bunch of Christians, I won't say any particular kind, just Christians. I used to pick on the Baptists all the time, but now I realize it's just Christians. You get a bunch of Christians together and say, We've got a mixed group here. Some people are Christians and some people are not. We're having a, uh, an event or something. And I stand up and say, How many of you people in here are really born again, spirit filled Christians that love Jesus with all your heart? Man, if there's a hundred people there and it's a mixed event between the world and God, I bet you there wouldn't be but one or two out of that whole mess. If half of them was Christians, they wouldn't hold up their hand. They'd be afraid to. Be afraid of what people would think. But that's not the kind of Christian he's talking about right here. He's talking about one that's walking through that bunch saying, I'm a born-again Christian. You know my Savior is your Lord and Savior? The guy said, Amen. Praise God. Walk through there. Oh, man, you know Jesus? Ah, come on, you're preaching to me. Yeah, that's right, I am. Praise God. Do you know Jesus? Best thing ever happened to me. That's the kind of Christians I'm talking about. These are the kind of people that are abiding under the shadow of the Almighty. These are the kind of people that are saying of the Lord, He's my refuge, He's my strength. And then look what verse 3 says. Surely He, God, shall deliver you from the snare of the fowler and from the raging epidemic. What did He do for me and Cheryl that night, brother? He delivered her from the snare of the devil. The devil thought, well, I'll send a couple of my demons after his bride and I'll kill her in the car wash. She's going to stop and wash that car. Nobody will ever know what happened to that. They'll just find her dead in the car wash in the morning. You think the devil would do something like that to a precious young lady out in the middle of the night? He'd do that to you in broad daylight. He'll do that to you in broad daylight. But when you're walking in obedience to God's Word, what did God Himself promise He'd do? Protect you from the snare of the devil. And how can He do that? He can do it. He can talk to you. Somebody asked me when I told that the first time, I said, well, if, he was going, if it was going to happen to Cheryl, why didn't the Lord just speak to her? I said, that's real simple. 
I'm the priest of the home. He comes to me. I'm supposed to be her provider and her protector. This woman's not supposed to be protecting and providing for me. I'm not supposed to be sitting home my feet kicked up and let her out and make me a living. I'm supposed to be the priest. I'm the one that's supposed to take care of her. I'm the one that's supposed to protect her and keep her. And that's kind of like she knew what was going to happen last night. We were sitting there talking to some of these, you know, there was 800 people graduated in her class when she was in high school. There's a whole bunch of them there last night, too. And she knew a lot of them real well. And we were sitting there, and she was talking to two men. I was standing right across from her, and they was on each side. And one of them got to talking about a time when he got drunk and how he went the wrong way on the road and all those stuff. And I thought to myself, mm, well, I've just about heard all this I can stand. And then he used a foul word. When he did, Cheryl knew she had to get me out of there. <laughs> she knew I was fixing to jump right in the middle of that man and tell him that in the presence of my bride, you don't talk like that. I will not allow you to talk like that in the presence of my lady. You'll either keep your mouth shut or I'll ask God to put an angel on here and he can put you on the floor. But I will not allow that in the presence of my woman. There's not many men like that in the world anymore. But that's why God's not dealing with those men either. You want to see God do wonderful things? You're going to have to stand on his word. You're going to have to walk holy and not be ashamed to stand up and be counted before the enemy. In the presence of my wife or any other Christian woman I'm around, don't you let a man walk in and start using words of profanity. I will stand. I don't care. In fact, I'll tell you one day, I had just went to work for a corporation that bought out the corporation I worked for, and I had been two weeks with the company. And the VP is showing us new managers a video about working together as a team. In the course of the video... The Lord's name in vain was taken once and then twice. And I'm on the edge of my seat saying, Lord, I can't stand this no more. If this happened one more time, I'm out of here. And then the video was over. And then the VP talked. And when he got through, I did something that very few managers would do to a VP. I asked him if I could see him in his office. And he went, and he said, what do you need to talk to me about, Thurman? I said, I want you to know, sir, I am a man of God. I am a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ. And those words that were used in that video, which took my Lord's name in vain, there is a scripture in the Word of God that says, no man shall take my name, that, and it will go unpunished. I said, so I want you to know, if I'm going to be a manager in this place, I will never sit in another meeting whether anybody, including you, speak a word of profanity of any kind. I said, if you people here are not educated enough, you can communicate with me without using words of profanity, I will not be involved in those meetings. And you know what? He said, well, I've done that lots of times. I said, yes, but not with me. 
And do you know from that day forth, in all the meetings I was ever in, except one, when one woman stuck to, stuck, said a bad word, and I was so amazed that they never heard another bad word, not that least he put out that memo, there will be no more profanity in any meeting in our operation because of one man. And then one day, three or four or five years later, we had 25 managers in a meeting in a room, and I was sitting way over here on this side. There's a big round set of tables, and there's a woman sitting over here, and she spoke one word. I'll even say the word, because if you say it in the right context, you've all heard it. If you say it in the wrong context, it's bad. But this woman was talking to one of the head people up at the table and said, well, I wonder, we was talking about somebody, wonder what they meant. She said, I wonder what in the hell. And when she said that, she immediately slapped herself right in the mouth, turned and looked across to me and said, Thurman, will you forgive me for using that bad word? <laughs> Who do you think that was slapped her in the mouth? The oh, Lord. Sure, he put that hand and slapped her right in the mouth. She turned out of 25 managers in that room. She said, will you forgive me? I just looked at her and smiled. Are you known by your work? Yes. Don't you think it's time we as Christians start taking a stand for God's Word? When we take a stand for His Word and do what He says instead of living with the world, guess what's going to happen to all the pain and sickness and disease in the church? It's going to go away. And we're going to walk here because if we've done all those things in Psalms 91, how much sickness did the Lord say He would take away from you? Surely he will deliver you from the snare or the fowler and from the norsalum pestilence or the raging epidemic. If God delivers you from the raging epidemic or the raging sickness and disease, I can't think of a better one to be on my side, can you? No curse comes upon you undeserved. So when sickness and disease comes upon you, the first thing you need to do is find out what kind of sin am I living in? What kind of curse am I under? You don't want to be under one. If you've repented of all your sins and you make him the most high God your dwelling place, then you can walk in this. But if you say, well, I'm a Christian, but I go to church on Christmas and Easter. Now, I'm going to tell you, you can be a Christian and go to church every Sunday and still be sick and still not serve God the other six days a week. And that's a point that many people have missed. You cannot give God one day a week and the devil six and walk without sickness and disease. Can't do it. The devil will get you. You're going to yield to that devil just like the Word of God says. So you have to do that. Now that we go back to Ephesians chapter 6 and we're talking what we're doing there. Verse 8 says, Knowing that whatsoever good thing any man doeth, whatsoever good thing any man doeth the same shall he receive of the Lord whether it be he bond or free so if you do good things for Jesus what's going to come back to you good things I mean we read that but we really don't believe that do we so the consequences there if we don't do good things and we do bad things then what's going to come back to us bad things that's exactly right 
whatsoever good things you do, these will be returned to you. Now he says there, and you masters do the same thing unto them, forbearing, threatening, knowing that your master also is in heaven, neither is there respect of persons with him. If there's no respect of persons to him, he's going to treat every one of us the same, isn't he? Male or female, makes no difference. Absolutely no difference whatsoever with God. And then he says, Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord in the power of his might. Put on the whole armor of God. How do you do that? Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. Now then, the wild of the devil, we had a perfect example of a while ago in a testimony of how the wiles of the devil try to come up on you even in a home that's walking in obedience. And that was with Sherry. Her and her husband loved God and served him. But the wiles of the devil, just because Sherry had been carrying the grandbaby on her hip, the devil thought, I'll put a pain on her and she'll never know. She'll think that happened because she'd been carrying around that little baby. And it even took her a little while to realize what was happening, didn't it? You see how slick that beast is? He's pretty good at what he does, isn't he? But you notice what she said when she got to the top of the stairs, when she realized what it was. And that, see, when she realized that Jesus bore her pain and removed her to sickness on the, on the cross 2,000 years ago, she ain't supposed to have pain and sickness and disease, is she? So she got a hold of it, had her priest pray over her, rebuke that devil, and in one minute, less than one minute, it's gone. The wiles of the devil. Now, he will come against you. Put on the whole armor of God, for we wrestle not against flesh and blood. In other words, visible beings. But against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. In other words, the invisible beings that are here on this earth is what we're wrestling against. Now, I really don't know for sure where these critters come from. I don't know if they were spirits of beings that lived before the Adamic age, but I really think that's where they came from. I think the spiritual wickedness in the heavenlies is fallen angels because they can fly. They can transfer back and forth between the third heaven, second heaven. They can move all over. They can fly. But demons are limited to walking on the earth. So I believe that demons are spirits of people or beings of some kind that lived on this earth before the Adamic age. Who knows how long the earth's been here? Genesis chapter 1 said, And God made the world. And then what verse 2 says, And it was void, destroyed, and without form. Did he make it that way? No, he made it perfect. But it was destroyed. Well, you can go back to Isaiah 4, or 24, I forget now, Jeremiah, I get these reversed. Isaiah 4, or 24, and Jeremiah 4, 24, and those two right there will talk to you about the group of people that lived at that time that became so wicked and God got so upset with them that he turned the sun off and turned the world upside down. 
Has he ever done that since Adam and Eve? No. The sun has never been turned off. The world has never been turned upside down since Adam and Eve. And all of the inhabitants slung off. So every man died, it said. Almost every man died in the flood. There was eight left. But at this time, all of them died. And I believe that those spirits are the spirits of those people. Now, I may be wrong. But all I know, these beasts are very wicked. They're very wicked, and their, their goal is to steal, kill, and destroy you. You and I. So Paul tells us how to overcome these beasts. He says, Wherefore, take unto you the whole armor of God, that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all to stand. Stand, therefore, having your loins good about with truth. How in the world do you gird your loins about with truth? I hear people say, well, I get up every morning, and I put on my armor. I'm going to tell you what, this is not a physical suit that you put on. This is spiritual weapons. How do you, how do you put on the garment of truth? As long as you tell the truth all the time, the truth is there and you have on the garment of truth. What if you lie, just one little lie? you got a crack in your armor. And when you get a crack in your armor, what can a fiery dart do through a crack? It can come in there. And it can get you. That's why Paul's trying to say. He doesn't know. He's trying to look at a soldier to give you some kind of an example with spiritual weapons, with a physical suit, how this thing works. And I read it for years and didn't get it. I must have been super dense. That's all i got to say. But I'm beginning to see this stuff. If I am to gird my loins about the truth, that means I'm supposed to not tell a lie, right? That goes right along with the Ten Commandments, doesn't it? Then he says, And having on the breastplate of righteousness. The breastplate of righteousness. Now, let me ask you this question. How many of you see yourself as righteous? Some of you didn't hold up your hand. Did you know that in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, the Lord clearly says, I have made you the righteousness of God in Christ. So if you are the righteousness of God in Christ, if you don't see yourself as a righteous being, you're saying the blood of Jesus is not sufficient to make you righteous. And do you know what that is against God? That's sin. Is the blood powerful enough to wash you and me perfectly clean? Absolutely. If it made you and me the righteousness of God in Christ, somebody said, you know, the prayers of a righteous man availeth much. He said, praise God, let me pray. They said, don't come on, you're not righteous. You said, you don't know me like Jesus knows me. Jesus said, I'm the righteousness of God in Christ, and I'm going to believe him instead of you. So I'm going to kneel here and I'm going to pray. And when I pray, my prayers are going to be answered and God's going to do great and mighty things for me. Because I'm the righteousness of God in Christ. You know what them devils do when you start talking like that, brother? Them beasts start trembling. They start walking back, walking, getting out of there. 
That's when you walk up on the hospital just like I did the other day with a man right over my ministry center. When he learned all these things, this man's about 63 or 45 years old, and he had terminal cancer. And I taught him the Lord of God about five hours with his preacher. And then asked him if he's ready to be healed. He said, I'm ready. And he's trying to get up out of that chair, you know, like this. And I lunge out of my chair and I reach over and I hit him right in the chest with the palm of my hand. And I scream, you come out of him, you devil of hell, in the name of Jesus. And when I did that, that devil of hell left him and that man was right there healed of everything in his body. He had carpal tunnel in both hands, everything. And his hands were made well. And two months later, he came to our church in Dallas and said, I've been back to MD Anderson for a complete checkup and the cancer's gone. What kind of power do we have over the devil? As obedient Christians. All. When you see yourself as a righteousness of God in Christ, this was a work of the devil, and what was it that was in me that attacked the devil? The power of God. That devil looked at me and said, that puny little thing right there, he ain't nothing. When I jumped up and hit that man in the chest, the Jesus that's in me jumped out and said, Oh, yeah, devil, did you hear what that boy of mine said? Get out of him. You know what I mean, don't you, brother? The devil said, I ain't afraid of them, but I sure am afraid of Jesus. And it's just like them, them seven sons of Sceva come over and said, We command you to come out of him in the name of Jesus that Paul preaches. And that one man looked up and he said, Paul... I know about and Jesus I really know but he said who are you <laughs> and that one man jumped on seven men beat the thunder out of the clothes out and left them bleeding but see they went in the name of Jesus that Paul preached which meant they didn't have a personal relationship with the king when you need go knowing and having that personal relationship with the king is where we're supposed to be as Christians it ain't me and you the devil's afraid of. But it's the king that's in us he's afraid of. And that will drive the devil out of you when you, that becomes a revelation that you are the righteousness of God in Christ. When you get your sins repented of and you stand on these things, when you've done all you can do, Paul said, stand on the word. What does that mean? Well, I mean, there's not any other way I can tell you. I throw my Bible down on the floor, step up on it and say, this is what it means. Stand. <laughs> the devil says, I'm going to kill you anyway. He said, you just go ahead and try. We're going to find out which one of us is strongest. Greater is he that's in me than the devil is in the world. You're not going to get me, devil. And the devil says, oh, but you're an old wicked guy. You know Jesus ain't going to do nothing good for you. He said, devil, he ain't going to do nothing good for me because he's already done everything and given me all power and all authority over you. And he's already given me all power. I don't have to worry about him going to give it to me. He's already given it to me. Because when you get a hold of that, you can come against the devil, can't you, brother? You can kick him out. And you can drive sickness and disease out of your body. And you can walk in divine health. Just like Sherry and Dave did. I mean, we've had all kinds of experiences like this. I mean, the other day, since Cheryl's here, I'll do this with her and I'll show you what I did to my lovely bride the other day. Stand up, honey. She's my best teaching tool. <laughs> she was getting ready to sing to a whole bunch of people, her and her daughter, the other evening. She came into the computer and was that, and she said, Honey, 
gotta pray for me. I can't talk. Now let me tell you, if you're a singer and you can't raise your voice any higher than that, you're in trouble. <laughs> you and him laugh just like you know what I'm talking about, right? Because it was the devil in the first place that started the whole thing. That's what we got to learn. You, Cheryl, we're not enemies. We're all on the same team, but the beast is our enemy, and once in a while he gets in us. And he'd come into her throat. It's like he came into Sherry's back. He'd come into her throat and said, Oh, she's going to sing to all them people tonight? We're going to find out if she's going to sing tonight. So he said, I'm going to come by and put her to the test. Does he have a legal right to her? Who knows? He may not. He may have. Because anything we do that's not of faith is sin. And we can sin so easy, we don't even know. And so he said, Okay, I might have had a legal right there. She might have done something that wasn't totally in faith. So he said, I'll just come in and mess up her throat today. So she came to her priest. Who is it in the family that has the greatest power? The priest. The husband that's walking in obedience to the word over his wife and children. She come in there whispering. I could barely hear her. Honey, you've got to do something. I've got to sing to all these people tonight and I can barely talk. Who would ever dream that's a devil? I say, my lands, let me get you down to the hospital right quick and let's see if they got something that might fix it so you can sing tonight. Who would ever dream about grabbing your wife by the throat and commanding the devil to come out of her? I mean, the Baptist church I was associated with, they, told, they tell me, you can't have a demon. They'd have sure thought I was crazy if it had come by. But it sure did work good, didn't it, honey? I mean, she went that night to sing, but that's just like another time. We went on a fast. She was only three or four days into the fast. She woke up one morning and said, Honey, look at this. She had big whelps all over her face. She said, What is this? I said, Well, you stop feeding them little demons and they're getting angry. So I said, Now then, they're rebelling, so I'm going to kick them out. I now know they're in there. So I reached up and laid my hands on her and commanded them devils to leave. And in a matter of hours, her face was totally, perfectly beautiful. Well, two or three or four days later, we're still on the fast. And some more of them little critters manifest again, only this time worse. They're big whelps. And she's got to sing, I think, to 1,000 or 1,200 people that night. And so she goes, she calls me and said, Honey, I can't get to you, but you've got to pray for me on the phone. I said, What's wrong? She said, These things have come back, and I've got to sing tonight. I said, No problem. I kicked them out over the telephone. I said, It's done because it's written in the Word. So then she goes across town to her daughter's place and talked to her and she said, Christy, would you come out? She said, well, Mom, I'm busy. Come in. She said, no, no, I don't want nobody to see me like I am. Well, she said, what's wrong? Well, I just, I just don't want to come in there. So Christy said, okay, I'll come out. She comes out and looks at Mama and says, Mama, you can't sing with them people that I look at you. You look awful. She said, but Thurman's already prayed for me. They won't be here tonight. You hear any faith in that? And guess what? Within just another hour, all those things were completely gone. When she got there that night, walked in, Christy said, Mother, you're beautiful. She said, Well, of course. What did you expect? <laughs> How much power do we have over, have over the devil? All. all. Isn't that amazing? The devil, he has all this power. Whoops. I missed my uh, uh, 3 o'clock glitch there. I've got to have so much fun. Uh, it's 3.15. Tell you what we're going to do right here.
we're go- I know you all have to have a break once in a while. So what we're going to do right here at the midpoint, we're, we're going to take up our offering first. And, and this is where we support the ministry. If you want to give a donation to our ministry, we're going to pass a little thing around for you to put a donation in if you want to give. If you don't, that's okay. We don't require anybody to give to come to a healing school. And then during the break, if you want to go back and get tapes or cassettes or whatever, audios, videos, or DVDs or whatever, they're back there. If you want to give an additional or any kind of a donation for them, there's a box back there. You can put something in. If you want an envelope, you can put your name. If you want a receipt, make sure you put your name and address on there where I can read it. You know, don't say John from Texas. I don't know who you are. Tell me, I'm John Doe from 316 Liberty Drive in Dallas, Texas, zip code so-and-so. And then if there's any doubt, then I can't read your writing, put your phone number on there, and then I have, we'll call you if we have to. But put it on there if you want. If you don't want it, then it's no big deal, you know. But anyway, we're going to pray right quick. We're going to take up our offering, and then we're going to give you about a 20-minute break. Father, in the name of Jesus, we thank you for the privilege to talk about your word. We thank you, Lord, for the people you brought here today. We thank you that you're going to heal them all. We're going to build their faith the second half to the point that everybody's going to receive their healing today and they're going to go with me completely, totally healed in the name of Jesus. And Lord, we thank you and praise you for your word. In Jesus' name, amen. We're going to get started again here. Give it just a couple of minutes here. We're getting everybody in here. Oh, okay. Yeah, Cheryl's brought all kinds of stuff out here. But we have some other teachings that, just as you go out the door, turn left and go down to the end of the hall, there's some more teaching down there also. Videos, DVDs, CDs, all kinds of stuff. So it's amazing how much stuff she gets together to bring to a healing school. But just to give you an idea of when I first started out with my first little $150 $150 recorder, you know, I mean, I mean, it's amazing. You know, when I used to go out and try to get people healed, I'd go out and, of course, I'd go to one of my Baptist brothers or sisters. I'd hear they had cancer or sickness or water warts on their hands or back or whatever. And I'd go over and take the Word of God and sit down with them two or three or four hours and teach them how to receive from God. And then we'd pray for them and the Lord would heal them or set them free or whatever. And then it got to where that those people would tell others about this. <clears throat> and then I'd be going. And then first thing I'm going two days a week and then three days a week and then four days a week and then five days a week. And first thing you know, there's not enough of me. There seems to be a demand for people that can get people healed in the name of Jesus. Not very much. Not as much as you would think. Because the majority of the church, I mean, even last night, Cheryl told one of those men that was in her class about, he said, my wife has a disease and she can't get out of the house anymore. She said, well, gee, my husband has a healing school. You need to bring her. Is that a healing school? What's that? Well, said, he teaches people how to receive from God what belongs to them. I said, well, you know, she says, uh, uh, I don't know. He said, maybe one day we might come. We're too busy, you know. And I thought, his wife's sick and can't get out of the house, and he's too busy. You know what that tells you automatically? 
He don't believe. Sure he don't believe. you got to believe God. So anyway, Cheryl puts all this stuff together. and I think about when I was going through there one day and I got to where I was so busy. I said, Lord, there's not enough of me. How am I going to keep up? What am I going to do? And that was real hard for the king. He says, son, make tapes. Make tapes? Who would have ever thought about something like that? I mean, gee, that's so hard. So I bought my first little recorder and started making tapes. And, of course, I started out to make a tape. You know, to make a 90-minute tape takes about four or five hours. And because you read a little bit and think what you're going to say, and you say a few things, and then you hit pause, and you wait, and you get your Bible out, and you go to another Scripture, and you read it and talk, think about it, and then you think, okay, now I can make another four or five sentences. And then you talk a little bit, and then you hit pause, and... Get your Bibles out and your books out and you got everything out. It takes a while to make a tape. Finally, you get one made. You think, okay, now I'll make me a duplicate copy. Boy, this thing's something. It'll make copies at two times the speed of what I originally did. So I put a 90-minute tape in there and let it run for 22 minutes and come back and turn it over and let it run for 22 minutes. So in 45 minutes, I got a 90-minute tape made. You know how long it takes to give away a 90-minute tape? Zap, bam, it's gone. I thought, wow, Lord, this ain't working. I gotta have something faster than this. So I bought me one sixteen speed recorder. So I thought I may put my master in there and put a another tape in there in three and a half, four minutes, I got a copy. I said, Woo, this is something. So man, maybe a stack of them. And just a little while, don't take long. Every four minutes. And I, boy, I could get me a box full, you know, Saturday afternoon. I sat there and make me a whole box of tapes. It wasn't long till they was all gone. <clears throat> and so then I bought me one three-position recorder that'll make three at a time. And I thought, man, I'll never outgrow this. <clears throat> and now then, I mean, just to give you some idea, we spend anywhere from two to five thousand dollars a week for blank tapes. That's kind of amazing, isn't it? Somebody says, you give all that stuff away? Yes, I give all that stuff away. Wow, that'll put you to the test, won't it, brother? The other day, my recorders, which I have five now, that'll make 19 tapes at a time. I'm just fixing about two more so I can make 27 cassette tapes at a time every four or five minutes. Well, the five I had started acting up, so I took them over to a place and had them checked. The guy said, you bought the best recorders there on the market. Those Sonys, he said, they are the best. But he said, uh, <clears throat> they make lots of tapes. He said, you've obviously made a lot of them because that all your heads need to be replaced. I said, okay. I said, so what do you think that's going to cost? He said, them heads are nearly $200 a piece, and there's four heads in each machine. I said, well, figure out what you can do for me and let me know. Call me. <clears throat> Call me that afternoon. Lady did, and she said, Mr. Scrivener, we got bad news. All of your heads do have to be replaced. I said, okay, well. What's it going to cost? She said, the good news is, 
I know you're Jesus 24-7. That's all you do. We're going to give you a real special deal on replacing all your heads. I said, how much is that? She said, we're going to do it for free. $4,000 worth of work for free. Is Jesus awesome? And so then, a few days, a man called me from Virginia. He said, Herman, I got a question. I said, yes, sir. I called him back. and He said, you're always so good to call me as quick as you can. He said, I have a question. And he asked me a question, and I gave him the answer. He said, by the way, is there anything your ministry needs? I said, well, we are looking at some new high-speed printers. Because when we bought our first uh, DVD and CD recorder, everybody started asking for CDs and DVDs. I mean, okay, so I guess I mean I have to go get some of that equipment. And so then I went out and bought a little of that stuff, and and that stuff was pretty expensive. And so I got that stuff, and and then we bought our first seven tower CD and DVD duplicator. And I thought, well, and I make seven of them, you know, every well anywhere from two minutes to twelve minutes, depending on what you're making, CD or DVD. And now that we have seven of those, and those are well over a thousand dollars a piece. So you know we got. About $16,000 now worth of CD, DVD recorders. And now we can make 49 CDs or DVDs. In fact, you put the CDs in there, you can't change them fast. You, you know, I mean, it just takes a person just while, you know, changing CDs. And with DVDs, uh, it'll make one every 12 minutes. We make 49 DVDs every 12 minutes. But now we've got to print them. We've got to put a label on them. And so I'm looking for some high-speed printers that'll print. Well, <clears throat> I had uh, 12 regular printers, and one person, When if you put you burn 100 CDs, you can start putting them around, one in each one of 12 printers, and one person can print 100 CDs or DVDs about every 30 minutes. But you've got to be after it. I mean, you know, you're moving. You take this one out, put one in, you know, move over to this one, put one in, take the other one out, move over to this one. It's 12 of them around the table. All right, keep you working out. In about an hour and ten minutes, I could do 250 by myself, as long as nobody call, nobody ask a question, you know, no interruptions. I'm wheeling and dealing. And so anyway, but I thought, you know, you realize how quick you can give away 250 of those things? I thought, this is this is not fast enough either. Now i got to have something else. So, I'm looking for these high-speed printers, and so I found them, several different ones, and they're really cheap, you know, really cheap, you know, what I needed, I'm around eight to $10,000, you know, cheap, but the, when you put the, hook it up to another computer and everything, with the high-speed printer we've got now, we have three of those now, and each one of those will print a CD or a DVD every 15 seconds. So that means every five seconds, a CD or DVD is falling off the line. Bam, 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 every five seconds. So, you know, we're, we're kind of going up in our technology, you know, but I needed those things, and I, got, I said, yes, sir, uh, <clears throat> I'm looking at these high-speed printers to print my CDs and DVDs, and I need that. He said, well, how much do they cost? I said, well, I haven't made a final decision yet, 
but somewhere between eight and ten thousand dollars. He said, Well, when you find out what you want, call me, let me know, and I'll see what I can do. I said, Okay. And so about three days later, he called me back and said, Have you found those printers yet? I said, Well, I haven't made a final decision yet, but I'm working on it. And he said, Well, as soon as you find out, let me know. Okay, 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 great. I appreciate whatever you can help me with. Well, a few days later, I got it all together. And I called him back and said, Well, I got everything. And I've got it in-house now. It's printing. It's working like a champ. I paid for it. I know now what it's going to cost. He said, How much was it all? I said, $9,460 of what it costs for everything. And he said, Well, let me talk to my wife and I'll see what we can do. I said, Okay. You know, one time somebody says they'll do something like that, and they pay $100 on it the next time, like the lady did with the recorders, $4,000, you know, to print those for those uh, recorders. He called me back in about two hours said, my wife and I talked about it and said, your ministry has so revolutionized our life and changed the way we do business totally, completely. He said, I'm going to send you a check for $9,460. He paid for the whole thing. Isn't that amazing? That's how we give this stuff away. And you can't outgive God, you know. I mean, this stuff costs money. The average person has no idea what it costs to, to give away all this stuff, you know. But it costs a lot. But last time I checked, the king of the universe, he owns everything. I don't have to ask nobody but God, and I don't ask nobody but God for money, you know. So that, that's what you do. And just like when I needed a hundred new VCRs, I needed a hundred new VCRs to hook up, and with the distribution amplifiers and everything, I went to the Lord and I said, "Lord, to buy these hundred new VCRs with everything I need, I'm going to need a minimum of ten thousand dollars to do this." I didn't ask nobody for no money. I just went to the Lord and I said, "Lord, I ask you to provide it for me." I said, "Thank you, Lord. It's done." I said, "As soon as you bring the money." I'll buy the VCRs and the distribution amplifiers and everything, but I've done all my legwork, and it's going to cost a right at 10000 to do this. So I said, it's done. Usually we get 5 to 10 or 15 uh, letters every day. But I go to the mailbox three days later, <clears throat> and there's one letter in the most office box. Well, immediately you think, goodness gracious, I prayed and asked for... $10,000, I normally get five to ten letters a day, and it's been three days since I got the mail, and there's one letter in the box? I mean, do we think negative? Yeah, you know what I mean, don't you, man? So I take that one little dinky envelope and open it up, and there's just one little piece of paper in it, one check, and guess how much it was for? $10,000, exactly what I needed, paid for everything, one letter. You don't have to have 400 envelopes to get enough money to pay for it. God, I think about what Hagee said the other day. He said, we went out to West Texas or California and preached a revival. The Lord told us to go. And so we got back with $170,000 in the red. He said, we went to a very poor area of Los Angeles and said there was no money come in. And it cost us 170000 to do that little crusade. So we got back and said, Lord, you got to pay that bill. We've got to pay everybody. So we need $170,000. He said a few days later, an old man from Houston called and said, Hagee, I watch you on TV and I hate your guts, but I'm going to send you a check for a million dollars. John Hagee said, yeah, okay. He said, that's nice, sir. I'm sorry that you hate my guts, but, you know, we're just teaching the Word. 
And he said, if you want to send us something, that's fine. He said, when I hung up the phone, I thought, yeah, surely another one of them pranks, pranksters, you know. This guy, he hates my guts and he's going to send me a million dollars? He said, about three days later, my secretary come running in and said, Brother Hagee, do you know that we just got a check in the mail for a million dollars from an old man in Houston? He said, take it down to bank and call and make sure it's good. And she come back and little boy said, it's good. We deposited it. He said, let me tell you, God can even move on the heart of your enemies to make him pay your bill. I mean, nothing's impossible with a king. So it's time we as the church start trusting the Lord, you know. And when it comes to healing, he can heal anything. You know, I don't care what it is. When I was down at uh, uh, that college, that Baptist college in Louisiana the other day, the doctor that introduced me, he said, the reason this man is here in this Baptist college is because a patient of mine <clears throat> from Manny, Louisiana, has had Lyme's disease for 17 years, and there's no cure. He said, she, I haven't seen her in about a year. He said, the other day she came back to my, by my office, and I asked her, then her name was Liz, and said, Liz, how are you doing? Oh, she said, praise God, I'm healed. He said, now look, Liz, Lyme's disease is not curable. She said, well, I'm healed. He said, how do you know that? She said, because I went up to the Living Savior Church in Dallas, and I heard the Word of God preached like I've never heard it, and I received Jesus as my healer, and we kicked that devil out of me, and all my symptoms have gone away, so I know I'm healed. He said, now look, Liz, let me check you out. That's not curable. So he said, I checked Liz out, and there's not a sign of Lyme's disease in her body. said, she's completely, totally healed. I said, where did you learn this? She said, at the Living Savior Church in Dallas. So he called and got a bunch of her stuff, and he said, the reason I wanted it, because that I may be a doctor, but he said, I had it too. And he said, let me tell you today, I stand before you completely healed. I got healed just listening to his tapes and learning how to pray. Said I had another patient that had it. I called them in. They came in. I gave them the tapes. They listened to it and said, now all three of us are healed of Lyme's disease. He said, that's why he's here. <laughs> you can't fight with results, can you? <clears throat> that's why I make those tapes. That's why I give them away. Because you don't have to have me when you learn how to pray. You can get it done yourself, brother. Jesus is a healer. and He's looking for faith. But that's what I do. I build your faith. So when you put on the full armor of God... Like we started out there, we was in Ephesians chapter 6. We're talking about putting on the full armor of God. And I don't know how many people I've seen, and I never could understand this. I read this, studied it, everything, but I didn't understand how simple Paul was trying to tell us this was. That to put on the full armor of God and to stand against the wiles of the devil, you have to gird your loins about with truth. You have to put on the breastplate of righteousness and your feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. How in the world do you keep your feet shod with shoes of peace, brother? You walk in peace. You don't get up every morning and pull a shoe on your foot and say, this is the gospel shoes of peace. You walk in peace with your spouse, with everybody around you. And when you walk in peace... You keep them shoes on. And no fiery dart of the devil can hit you. Isn't that simple? It's amazing how simple God made it. 
Now then, to walk in peace, the devil will do everything he can to get you out of peace. When the devil gets you out of peace, I mean, I mean, I know some of you in here are married people, men and women. I know there's never been a conflict between the man and the woman in your own home because y'all love each other. I know you would never have a conflict between your mate, the one that you love the most. Oh, yeah, sure. I mean, let me tell you, girl. I mean, that devil, he is so good. The man that you love the most or the woman, whichever one, either one of y'all can do this. You can be having a great day and your husband walk in and he say, Hi, honey, how's things going? And by the time that left his mouth and got to your ears, you heard something totally different. And that devil said, Look at that dummy. He come in and cut you down today. You see where I'm coming from? And you jump right down his throat. And all of a sudden he thinks, where'd this come from? You know, I was trying to do something nice for us, asking her how her day went. Look at her hollering at me. And the devil says, oh, that's the way it is. Just get her. And he said, well, if you think you've had a bad day, you ought to have been with me today. And then first they know we've got a war going on in the household, right? Now, I know none of y'all ever done that besides me and Cheryl. We're trying to not have those days anymore, though, aren't we, honey? We're trying to learn who the enemy is. And he's always the one that does these things. We're trying to capture every thought and to walk in that total peace 100% of the time with each other in a love relationship with no, no strife, no nothing, just peace and love and truth. When you do that, you don't open no door to the devil. You gotta learn right quick, your mate is not your enemy. Who is your enemy? Paul just told us. We're fighting against principalities. Brother, what kind of fun do you think I could have in your house if I could walk into your house right through the wall and the doors closed? And I could walk in there and I could knock something off the wall or knock something over. And your wife is already upset today and she's had all kinds of trouble. The children done all kinds of things wrong. And all of a sudden, you reach up. You're going to say something nice to her. You reach over to get your glass of milk, and the devil tips it over and it spills it on the floor or on the carpet. Ooh! Or leave the doors open or whatever, right? You see where I'm coming from? Then she's right on your case. You see where I'm coming from? That devil, he'll do those kind of things, and then the minute he stirs up those kind of troubles, then he'll come right into your mind and put thoughts in your mind. And he come right into your mind, put thoughts in your mind. And in a couple of minutes, he's standing over here laughing while y'all are having a knockdown drag out. Isn't that amazing? He's good at what he does, isn't he? Don't you think it's time we learn who that beast is? We capture every thought. We keep, because when we get out of peace and we start sinning, that's when that devil gets legal right to attack you. And that's what he's trying to do. That devil. It's trying to gain that legal right to deceive you and to kill you and to get legal right. Paul says, if we put on the full armor of God, we'll keep our gospel shoes of peace on. And he says, above all, take the shield of faith. What is the shield of faith? What is faith? If Romans ten seventeen says faith comes by hearing and by hearing the Word of God, then what is the shield of faith? The Word. The Word. 
That's your shield of faith. That shield, which is the Word of God, is what will protect every fiery dart of the devil. Keep it from hitting you. When that devil tries to fire a fiery dart, or even if he gets through to you, you've got to take the Word. And if he wants to get through and hit you, you've got to repent. Immediately repent and say, Lord, I'm sorry I messed up. I'm going to get back in love and back in faith. Now that I'm standing on the Word, I'm driving out the devil. But you know what happens whenever one of us get a pain or a symptom of one of our flesh? I don't know what it is that the church does not understand about this book, but I know I was there a lot of years of my life, so I can't say anything about you. But used to, when something would happen to me, I don't care what it was. If I got hurt on the job, I got cut, I scratched myself, or my back went out, or anything else, guess where's the first place I went? To the doctor. Did I ever go to Jesus? No, not really. Why didn't I? Because I didn't know He was the healer. I didn't know God was able to do what He's able to do. I'm going to give you an example. Now, most of you have heard the story about my granddaughter. You know that's a pretty awesome testimony. But the other day I got a phone call from a little lady out in Monahans, Texas, where I was a couple of years ago. And I taught the Word, and they have called, and of course I took some teaching tapes out there, and they have called and got more tapes, and she said, we have listened to your tapes night and day, my whole family, my children, me. They got a, what was a 15-year-old girl, I believe it was, called Amanda. Her name was Amanda. And she said, just recently, Amanda and one of her brothers, sisters, whatever, they, I think they got four or five children, were running their horse across the prairie. And the horse stepped in a hole. And the horse went head over heels over Amanda. Let me tell you, when you've got a 1,200-pound horse falling over you, how old are you, young lady? Fifteen? Ooh, just about like her. Fifteen-year-old. When a 1,500-pound horse got through rolling, whenever her brother looked up, Amanda's mouth was tore completely open. She had, her skull was fractured in several places. Her leg was broken and the bone sticking out the leg. And you know what she was saying? By the stripes of Jesus, I was healed. Isn't that amazing? You know what the normal 15-year-old girl would do when she looks down and sees that? She, huh? Huh? <laughs> but let me tell you this little girl was listening to the word so she lay there when her brother rides back to the house to get mother mother said when I got up there for a minute I walked up and I saw my daughter I almost panicked when I looked at her and saw the condition of her and so the first thing she said mother without that lip all tore all to pieces and everything else by the stripes of Jesus I was healed you talk about a little girl of faith. She said, honey, we've got to take you to the doctor. And she said, no, mama, Jesus is all the doctor we need. That girl's not going by what she sees. She's going by what's written. She said, when daddy finally got there, said he hadn't listened to near as many of your tapes as we have. He said, we're going to take her to the doctor. So said, we took her to the doctor, 
And she said, Daddy, I'm going to stand on the Word. They will not sew up my mouth. I just want a bandage put around it to pull it back together. And Jesus is going to heal it without a scar. Did Mark 11:23 say you can have whatever you say with your mouth if you believe it with your heart? Did the king really make that promise to you? Then why don't we believe him? I guess we're just dumb, don't you think? I now know why he calls us cheap. <laughs> Dumbest critters i ever seen in my life. Raised a few of them. Now I know why he calls me one of them. But that little girl stood on the word. Wouldn't let them throw her mouth up. Her daddy said, we're going to let them straighten the bone up and put it back in there. The doctor said, I've got to do surgery on the leg. Got to. He said, it's broken in too many places. I forget how many places her leg was broken, but several. Not just one break. He said, the mother said we had to cut several places down through her leg to get in and put all the bones back in line. And the little girl didn't even want that done. But she couldn't go above her daddy. Her daddy had him cut the leg open, put it in there. She said, Daddy, but we are going to pray. Oh, yeah, he said, we're going to pray. He is a man of God. He is a pastor of a church, by the way. I spoke in his, one of his churches. He asked God to do mighty miracles. The doctor said when he cut the leg open in one end, he said, first of all, when I first looked at it, I said, the leg is so bad, I may not be able to get all those bones back in place. They're so fractured and broke up. And that little girl said, oh, no, they're going to go together perfect. When the doctor got through with the surgery, put her leg back together, he said, it's unbelievable that every place I cut her leg open, the bone just went back in place perfect. You know what the little girl said? She said, and when you get through with me, I'm not going to have any scars on my leg either. And she said, I'm not going to have any on my face either. Thirty days later, when they took the bandages off and checked her, there's no scars on her face and no scars on her leg. What kind of faith did that little girl have? You know, the first thing we do is say, I don't believe that. Well, see, if you don't believe that, that little girl, 15 years old, had faith in the living God. And did you know His promises are so awesome? In Mark 11:23, the king says in Mark 11:23, I tell you the truth. Not only can you do what I've done to the fig tree and I spoke to it and it died, but he said, if you speak to that mountain, you command it to remove from there over into the sea and you don't doubt in your heart. He said, that mountain will obey you. He said, therefore, whatever you say with that mouth, if you believe it with that heart, he said, you shall have whatsoever you say. What kind of promise did your king give you, little lady? Yeah. He didn't give you a limitation on anything, did he? You know what most people go around doing? They go around begging and pleading for God to do something for them. I used to do that. And you know what he was telling me? I've already done it for you. Act on it. It's yours. Isn't that amazing? Who would ever dream that these promises mean what they say? 
But you know why they don't work for most people? Because of sin. Unbelief. We have an evil heart. I mean, I'm assuming this is your husband. If he come to you and said, Honey, I've saved up for the last couple of years, and I'm going to take you on the most beautiful vacation trip to Hawaii. I already got the tickets and everything, and the hotel and reservation, and here they all are. Well, let's go. And you looked and you said, No, 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 no. You're kidding me. You're not going to take me to Hawaii. You never have. So why do I think you would go? No, I forget that. I know that's bogus stuff. You ain't going to take me. That's what we do Jesus. He's got the best vacation plan for you you ever had in your life. And he wants you to go with him. And you ain't going to believe it. So you're going to stay home. Isn't that amazing? It's pretty bad. So here the king of the universe, in Mark 11, 23, he makes that awesome statement to you. And in verse 24, he even makes a greater one. He said, whatever you desire when you pray, Believe you have received it, and you shall have it. Is that awesome, brother? Is that awesome? Awesome. Think about this. If Jesus said, if you repent of your sins, all of your sins, and ask me to forgive you, I will forgive you of how many of your sins? All. Well, what's left then after all? How many is left? If you say, Father, I've been stupid. I've messed up. But you know what happens to us? We get, when we're children, it's real easy to believe. But we, don't, we forget we're still children. You get to be 60, 70, 80 years old. Well, God, you know, God, I'm old, I'm more out. I could, you couldn't possibly mean that to me. As far as God's concerned, you're still a little child. Just a little child. You say, Lord, he said, I know your flesh. I know how weak you are. He said, no problem. I'm God. I'm the King of kings. Lord, Lord, you get your sins repented of, and that's what I sent Jesus for, is to forgive you. Now, you're washed in the blood. Do you believe it? Yes, Lord. Okay, good. Now then, that you've repented, I put your sins as far as the east is from the west. What verse is that, honey? Psalm 103, 12. 103, I do, I do, anybody. That's her favorite verse. Psalm 103, when I confess my sins, he but my sins as far as the east is and the west. He never remembers them again. So when the devil comes back and says, Oh, you old fool of a woman. You you know God couldn't forgive you for all them old dumb things you've done all your life. He said, I ain't done nothing dumb. What do you mean? Remember when you did this and when you did that. He said, Oh, but that woman died. She confessed those sins. That's gone. God don't remember that. You can't accuse me of those sins. You can't use those to accuse me. They ain't there no more. See? And when you get a hold of that, and it's gone, and you've repented, then you won't let the devil come back and do what he wants to do to you. In fact, turn to Colossians. I'm going to show you where this is. This is Colossians chapter 2. I want you to see. Start with verse... Colossians 2.12 Buried with him in baptism, wherein also ye are risen with him through the faith 
of the operation of God who has raised him from the dead. Let me ask this question. How many of you in here have been water baptized? How many of you have been water baptized? You've been water baptized? If you've not been water baptized, you need to be water baptized. If you've been water baptized, it says here in Colossians chapter 2, you've been buried with him in baptism, wherein also you are risen with him through the faith of the operation of God. The operation of God. You were you went down in the water. Now, when you went down in the water, I have to say, there's something that most pastors don't do very well when he water baptizes us. And you know what that is? He don't hold us down long enough to kill us. <laughs> you know where I'm coming from, young lady? We go down, we kick him to get right back up. We don't want to die. We don't want to die to self. We want to live. You know, I'm my own person. Don't you dare tell me what to do. I'm, a, I'm my own person. I've heard, I've had Christians tell me, I, like, for instance, women that get pregnant out of wedlock. This is my body. I'll do with it what I want to. You're a Christian? Oh, yeah, yeah, I know Jesus. According to Scripture, if you know Jesus, your body's not yours. It's His. And you have no right to abuse that body in sin because it don't belong to you. You're supposed to keep that body pure and clean because it's His body. And if you will, if you died in baptism and you rose to walk in newness of life, if you've done this, listen to what He says. He's raised us from the dead. He raised Jesus from the dead. And you, talking about you in verse 13, being dead in your sins. Now, did he hold you under long enough to kill you? Well, let's hope he did. If he held you down long enough to drown you, you understand where I'm coming from, spiritually. If he held you down, as far as God's concerned, you're supposed to have left the old man or the old woman down there in the baptismary. And when they raise you to walk in newness of life, God sees you dead, doesn't he, brother? You being dead in your sins. It's like Paul said, if you're dead to sin, how in there in the world can a dead man sin any longer if you're dead? As long as you stay dead, you're okay. Now, we stay up on that cross, you're okay. But you just like me, if you nailed up there real good, and one day somebody comes in and makes some kind of statement you don't like, whether it be at work or at home or whatever, it's real easy to rip one hand off the cross and just reach over and get a bit. Woo! You've been guilty of that too, huh? Every one of us have done those dumb things. We have to learn to stay on the cross. You see where I'm coming from? You have to learn to stay on the cross. When you stay on the cross, you stay dead, and there ain't no sickness and disease can get through to you. None. You've got to do it God's way. And it said, You being dead in your sins and the uncircumcision of your flesh, hath He quickened together with Him, forgiving you, all trespasses. How many? All. all. So if He forgive you all, how many is left? None. And blot, verse 14 says, blotting out the handwriting of ordinances that was against us, which was contrary to us, and He took it out of the way, nailing it to His cross. What is He talking about there? What is the handwriting of ordinances that was against you? What is He talking about? The law. He's talking about the law that was against you. 
if he took that law and nailed it to his cross, then as long as you stay on the cross, as long as you stay dead to sin, this law, and you walk in love, this law has no hold over you. But when you come off that cross, you're in trouble. You've got to stay up there. There's victory staying on the cross. Just like Paul said, as long as you stay dead to sin, the devil can't get through to you. He cannot touch you. Because your flesh, which is where he operates, is dead. As long as you stay dead to sin, you stay up there on that cross, that means you're dead. That devil can come by and try to attack you every way he wants to, but he can't do nothing because Jesus... He took this writing, this ordinance law. He blotted it out. And this blotting out the handwriting of ordinance that was against us, which was contrary to us, he took it out of the way, nailing it to his cross. And by doing that, he said, by doing it, he disarmed, spoiled, in verse 15, spoiled, disarmed, principalities and powers, Satan and his host of demons, and he made a show of them openly, triumphing over them in at the cross. As long as you stay dead to sin, the triumph over sickness and disease is 100%. The devil cannot make you sick or afflict you. When you stay in faith, now why do you think the devil don't want you to read the Bible? What happens when you learn these things? Woo, you have faith. I mean you have faith. I mean it's amazing when you learn these things. The devil, once you repent of your sins, the devil has no more claim over you. He's been disarmed. I don't know about you, but I went to Vietnam. Some of you guys might have went to other places in the war. But if I was over there and I was flying an F-105 with all kinds of armament and all the guys on the ground walking around down there and they didn't even have a pea shooter, how much did I sweat them guys? Not at all. You didn't sweat them a whole lot even though they had some of that Russian-made stuff because it wasn't very good. But every once in a while, accidentally, one of them might shoot you down. But if you had all that power and armor and that firepower and your enemy had nothing, you wouldn't be afraid of him, would you? That's like the other day, whenever the, the Gulf crisis first started over here. I turned CNN on for a while. I don't hardly ever watch television, but I turned CNN on to watch a little bit of the war. And one of those news guys asked uh, some uh, army guy, a tank commander, said, have you encountered any opposition? Oh, he said, a little, but not much. Well, he said, what happened? Oh, he said, we was coming up over in a whatever, I forget what the number of the tank was, like an M16 or I forget what it was, some big automated fantastic machine. And he said, we came over the hill there and there's two guys run off, run out there in front of us with a little old 50 caliber machine gun and started shooting a few shots at us. A 50 caliber machine gun, you know what that'll do to you as a human being? Tear you all to pieces. Them bullets big as your finger. But you know what that'll do to a six inch armor plated tank? It's like a mosquito landing on you. He said, what'd you do? Oh, he said, we just, turned one of our little guns over there and vaporized them. Was they afraid of them guys? No. Was they disarmed? No. They had a weapon. But compared to the weapons they had, I mean, you're inside of a tank with steel that thick and it's armor-piercing so that nothing short of an armor-piercing rocket can go through that thing. 
and two guys step up over there with a 50 caliber machine gun? Are you going to be afraid? No, not at all. So you turn one of your little guns over there and say, touch the button, they're gone. Blow them away. No fear, right? None whatsoever. But just think, Jesus disarmed them completely. The devil don't have a thing unless you give it to him. That beast is totally, completely disarmed. Why in the world do we as Christians give him power? I don't know. I used to do the same thing. But when I learned that Jesus completely disarmed Satan in the cross, totally, totally disarmed him, then why should I be afraid of the devil? I mean, maybe you hadn't been to war. But if you had all the weapons and they had none, you're not afraid of them. You're only afraid of them when they got weapons, right? And they don't have any. Our enemy don't have none. Our enemy has completely been stripped and defeated of all power and armament. And Jesus did this. Now then, let me show you something that's even a little bit more powerful when it talks about that. I want you to go to Hebrews chapter 2. I want to show you what's available. Hebrews 2.14. In fact, let's start at verse 13. Hebrews 2.13 says, And again, and again, I will put my trust in Him. And again, behold, I and the children whom God hath given me. For as much sin as the children, which is us, are partakers of flesh and blood, he, Jesus, also himself likewise took part of the same that through death he might destroy him that had the power of death that is the devil. What did he do to the devil? Destroyed the one who had the power of death that is the devil. If Jesus came to this earth and stripped the devil of all of his power, took away all of his weapons, and took, made him totally powerless, and the devil is the one that brings sickness and disease because when you go to Acts 10.38, turn in your Bible to Acts 10.38 and see what it says. Acts 10.38. Acts chapter 10, verse 38. Acts 10, 38. We'll find out where sickness and disease comes from in Acts chapter 10, verse 38. Now, when you find Acts 10, 38, see if it reads something like this. And Jesus, anointed with the Holy Ghost and power, went about doing good and healing all... How many? All... That was oppressed of who? The devil. the devil, because who was with him? God was with him. Is that good news or is that good news? If Jesus went about healing all that was oppressed of the devil, Jesus has now defeated the devil. He's now given you and me all power over the devil. When you and me come into the kingdom of God, before we come to the kingdom of God, we used to belong to the devil. He was our father. People don't like to hear that. But until you got saved, your father was a devil. He had legal right to torment you. But once you got saved, you came out of the kingdom of darkness, you were translated into the kingdom of light, and all power over the devil was given to you. 
When you got, I don't care how filthy your robe was, I don't care what sin you'd lived in, I don't care how mean you'd been, or whatever you'd done, when you got saved, Jesus put a brand new white robe on you, didn't have a spot on it. You know what your goal was? To keep that thing white. You know what we've done as Christians? We've done a pretty lousy job. But when that robe's white, there's not one single spot on it, the devil's totally disarmed. Every time you put a spot on that thing, he's got a little armament. And how do we put those spots on there? Sin. When we don't sin, that devil can't get through to us. And then you can go to Luke chapter 10, verse 19 and 20, and you can see this. This is where you have to know these things. You have to know the power that Jesus has given you over the devil. You have to know that when you pray or when you rebuke the enemy, in fact, I'm going to tell you, there's virtually not a place in the Word of God where Jesus ever prayed for healing for nobody. Virtually none. You know what Jesus did most of the time? He kicked the devil out. That's exactly right. When He kicked the devil out, what happened to people? They got healed. That's what Jesus did. He kicked the devil out. Now then, when you go to Luke chapter 10, verse 19 and 20, we've already read where Jesus come and He was anointed with the Holy Ghost and power and one about doing good and healing all that was oppressed of the devil. When you go to Luke chapter 10, verse 19 and 20, let's see what it says. This is the power that God has given to us as His children. Luke 10, 19, He says, Behold, I give unto you power or authority to trample on the serpent and his scorpions. Now, this is one of the first places that I read in the Bible where Jesus acknowledged that the devil can come in to the animal kingdom. But, of course, the first place you really see that is in the book of Genesis where the devil come into the serpent. So the animal kingdom is controlled on this earth by the devil. The whole animal kingdom. In the beginning, the animals didn't kill each other. The, in the millennium, when the devil is locked up, the lion is not going to eat the kid goat. He's going to lay down with him and he's going to eat straw like the ox. Isn't that amazing? But with the devil here, he eats meat. He kills. The snake, it says in the millennium, a child shall play on the hole of a poisonous snake and there'll be no hurt. But when the devil's here, that's not true, is it? When a rattlesnake bites you, it's very poisonous, isn't it? Do you know you have power and authority over that in the name of Jesus? Isn't that amazing? Why do most people, when something happens like that, not go to God's Word instead of going to the doctor? Hadn't been taught, that's right. Luke 10, 19 and 20 says... Verse 18, Jesus says, I beheld Satan as lightning fall from heaven. Who do you think kicked him out of heaven? Jesus did. He kicked him out because of his sin. Verse 19, Behold, I give unto you power or authority to tread on serpents and scorpions, or the Satan and his demons, and over all the power of the enemy, and nothing shall by any means hurt you. 
Wait a minute. If Jesus gives us all power over the enemy and nothing shall by any means hurt us, then why in the world is the devil running around doing what he's doing to the church? Because we don't know. We don't know. How much power has been given to us? Well, Miss Bobby, what does it mean you don't understand about all, girl? We need to get there, don't we? All power is given to you over the devil. Not a little bit of power, but all power is given to you over the devil. He says, and he shall in no wise hurt you. And verse 20 says, notwithstanding in this, rejoice not that the evil spirits are subject unto you. But rather rejoice because your name's written in heaven. Sir, how do you make these children subject to you? You tell them, you speak, don't you? And you tell them. Mama says, son, take out the trash for mama. Well, what's, what's your responsibility when mama tells you to take out the trash? Go do it, right? Go do it. And if you're obedient, you get blessed instead of cursed, right? And you know what curses are, right? They're legs across the backside with a board. <laughs> Nobody likes them, do we? No. no, we don't like curses. We like blessings. Everybody likes blessings. Nobody likes curses. So what do we have to do to never be cursed? Never disobey. Isn't that amazing how simple God made it? Why is it sometimes we just buck up against authority? That's it. Pride, the devil, he's in there. He does all those things. But Jesus gave you and me power over the devil and said he has to be subject to us. If the devil has to be subject to us, if I know that Jesus bore my sickness and removed my disease, if I can show you a scripture in the Word of God that said, Jesus bore your infirmities and took away your sickness and your disease, would you think that he planned for you to have it? Well, I want you to turn, after we see all the power He's given us here, I want you to turn to Matthew 8, verse 16 and 17, and I want you to see what Matthew 8, 16 and 17 says. Matthew chapter 8. Look at Matthew 8. First of all, I'm going to read to you verse 13. And Jesus said unto the centurion, Go thy way, as you have believed so shall it be done unto you. Who is going to make these things happen for you? As who believed? As, now that's almost too good to be true, isn't it, brother? The limitation is as you have believed. Well, I mean, Lord, I read your word, but I don't believe you can heal everybody every time. He said, oh, is that the way you believe? Well, then, unfortunately, that's the way it is. Are we dumb or are we dumb? Like I was teaching these things in a church last week, or this week, in Florida. And I walked back to the back like that, and there's a... I didn't know the guy at the time until later after the service. He told me he's a retired dentist, and his wife's sitting right beside him. And I walked up, and I said, ma'am, after all these problems, I've been teaching two days. And I walked up to her, and I said, ma'am, what do these problems make you think? She said, it makes me think how stupid I've been. I said, I'm sure glad you said that about you because I wouldn't have said it, but I said, that's what made me feel like the same way when I learned these things. How stupid I had been. All power has been given to me by God over the devil 
And then he says here that as I have believed, so shall it be done unto me. What do I believe? Do I believe Jesus can raise the dead? Absolutely. Have I ever seen him raise the dead? Absolutely. Do I believe that Jesus can put a severed brain stem back together? Absolutely. Do I believe he can put a severed spine back together? Absolutely. And if you've got a mate back there that can agree with you in that when you're comatose, it'll make it happen, won't it? I don't care what you say, doctor. My husband and me are great Christians. We walk in obedience to the Word. I ain't believing your report. I don't care what you say. He ain't never going to live. He ain't going to walk. I'm going to tell you, Jesus made me promises. He ain't only going to live, but he's going to walk and he's going to run and play and he's going to be a normal, supernatural man. Amen. Now, you know something that we prayed for? When I began to get a hold of these things, I began to ask God to make me normal. And then I got to realize, you know, I'm deceived by the devil. Who wants to be normal? I want to be supernatural in everything. I don't want to be able to do nothing normal. I want to do everything supernatural. I mean, good grief. If God said, ask for anything, young lady, what do you think? What kind of limitations did he give you? As you have believed. So if my God's big enough to put a brain stem back together, he's big enough to make me better and just normal, isn't he, young lady? So I can do exceedingly abundantly above all that you can think or imagine. So don't you think we start try, start at least thinking some big things as Christians? If He gave us that kind of power and that kind of limitation, don't think little. Don't think, oh God, if it be your will, will you please heal me? Say, no. I believe it's done. I'm going to be healed today. You ought to have been with me ten years ago when I went to Corpus and taught these things to a Baptist woman and her husband and she was on her deathbed supposed to die that week. And I spent five hours Saturday afternoon teaching that woman and her husband the Word of God. And when I got through, that little woman was down to about 80 pounds. Doctor said, you'll die this within a week. I looked over at that little woman. I said, ma'am, you heard enough of God's Word to be healed? And her husband sat there. He fell out of that chair on his knees with his hands raised. said, God, I can't believe I've been in church all my life and didn't know these things. And that little woman, 80 pounds, dried up, devils beat up on her. I said, how about you? She looked at me and she said, you come over here and cast this demon of hell out of me and I'm going to be healed right now. She said, I'm going to go with you and my husband. I said, well, okay. Now, it had taken this woman three hours that morning to get up and put a suit of clothes on. But she, she had a bite of food to eat in three weeks. Can't eat. Intestines blocked. Tumors she gets up out of that chair, walks down there, walks down them stairs to that apartment, goes out and gets in that car. We go to that airport. I said, ma'am, I'm sure you're still weak. She said, I am healed. I'm going to walk you to the end of the terminal. And she went to the end of the terminal, waved me off, walked back out all the way to her car, got in the car and said, honey, I haven't had a bite to eat in three weeks. Jesus, heal me. Stop right there. It's the best fried shrimp place in town. I'm going to have a fried shrimp dinner tonight in the name of Jesus. And she did. What will faith do? Oh, isn't it awesome what it does? Now, if Jesus did that for people of faith, and she was down to her last week in life, and six months later, somebody went down, the people asked me to go down there, went and spent a week with them, sent me some pictures, and brought them to me and handed me this picture of this beautiful woman, weighed about 130 pounds, you know, smiling, brought it in hand, said, you know who this is? And I looked at her, and I knew who that was, and I said, I ain't never seen that woman. 
They said, that's Judy. I said, oh, yeah. But she didn't look like that when I saw her. With the devil beating up on you and you weigh 80 pounds, and you had a bite to eat in three weeks, you look pretty bad. But six months later, she is beautiful again. Back up to 130 pounds, totally, completely healed. What did that? Her faith in the Word of God. When you learn that the devil's the one that comes to steal, kill, and destroy, and he's completely defeated and has no power over him, and you've got all power over him, you should never do anything except what Paul said. Stand on the Word. You don't ever let that devil take you out. Stand on the Word. Walk in divine help. Do what Jesus said. He said you can ask Him for anything and He'll do it. What do we not understand about that? It's something, isn't it? Then he says, and after he said, as we have believed, that's the limitation. Verse 16, he said, when the evening was come, they brought unto him many that were possessed with devils. What was these people's problem? Devils, demons. And he cast out the spirit with his word and healed how many of them? Isn't that amazing? How in the world can we today believe it's not God's will to heal when yet he was here, he healed them all every time. No, there was one time he didn't. Over in his own hometown, there had to be a bunch of Baptists, <laughs> or Methodists, or Pentecostals, or Catholics. When they went over and began to teach them, and they said, Who is this dummy? Isn't this Joseph's son? Who does he think he is? God? And there they took offense at him. And because of their unbelief, of their unbelief, he could do no mighty works and he marveled because of their unbelief. So he went about teaching the Word. Isn't that amazing? God Himself, here in the form of Jesus Christ, could do no mighty miracles because of their unbelief. Don't you think it's time we stop not believing God? When you believe Him, you get to see great things, don't you, son? Woo, you've learned that, haven't you? Yes, praise God. Thank you, thank you. Thank you for Jesus. Oh, excuse me. When you rebuke the enemy, you get to see when Jesus cast out these devils with the Word and He healed all the sick. And 17 says that it might be fulfilled which was spoken by Isaiah the prophet saying Himself. Himself. Himself, Jesus took our infirmities and bear our sicknesses. Why in the world would the king of the universe take your infirmities and bear your sicknesses if he planned for you to be sick? Is that a good question? I ask that question. Why? You know why? He also told us not to sin, didn't he? And we do that too, didn't we? He said, now, if you don't sin, and see, I was raised up in a Baptist church, but I've now realized it's not only the Baptist, it's the Church of Christ, it's the Methodist, it's the Catholic, it's just the church in general. I mean, after all, they don't believe you can walk sinless. I mean, you virtually ask a pastor today, do you believe in divine healing. And you know what nearly all of them will say? No. I know God can heal, 
but it, He's sovereign. He only heals who He wants to. No, He heals everybody who comes to Him, repents, and believes in faith that have not committed the sin unto death. Is there a sin unto death? The Word says there is. There is a sin unto death. He said, I'll tell you not pray about that. So be careful when you sin. Let me ask you a question. If I were to take a thirty-eight revolver right now and open it up here and pour six bullets out on the floor and look through all six holes and they're all empty, and I just put one bullet in there and I spin the cylinder and I stop it, I said, now then, you can't get to look in it, but let me pull the hammer back. Let me sit. Let me pull, take it up your head and let's see if it's got yep, you get one of the five empty ones. You want me to try this? You ain't going there, are you, girl? You ain't that stupid. We may be stupid, but we ain't that stupid. But every time we sin, that's what we're doing. Every time we sin, that's what we're doing. We're taking a chance that we're committing or not committing the sin unto death. I sure am glad God's gracious and merciful, aren't you? Very, 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 very gracious. Because if He wasn't, first time I sinned years ago, if it had been the sin unto death, He'd have got me. Now, I know that probably none of y'all in here besides me has ever committed a sin. But, you know, I, unfortunately, I did commit a few of them, but I'm sure trying to make them few and far between now. now that's my goal, few and far between, because if Jesus bore my sickness, removed my disease, after he cast out these devils, then why in the world are we sick? Well, I'm going to show you in 1 Peter 2.21. I want you to go to 1 Peter 2.21, and I'm going to show you something here. 1 Peter 2.21. Sound like it's coming a good rain out there. First Peter two twenty one, yeah. First Peter two twenty one. Listen to this. For even hereunto were you called, because Christ also suffered for us, leaving us an example that we should follow his steps. As a rule, that right there is more than the average Christian like myself could ever fathom. I mean, give me a break, brother. You and me, you and me got to follow in His steps? <laughs> well, then guess what we're going to have to believe? What the Word says, right? If we're supposed to follow in His steps, well, goodness gracious, what were His steps? Well, He goes on to ex explain that. In the next verse, He says, Who did how much sin? How much sin? No sin. You mean you and me can't go out and tell dirty jokes? We can't go out and make light of other people. We can't talk about the president. If we do, there's a consequence, isn't there? Your tongue is your worst enemy. You'll talk about other people. You'll cut people down. You'll tell jokes. And you'll think it's funny. And God says, don't let any coarse joking or jesting be found once among my people. How many Christians, you know, like I was, a lot of years of my life, told those dirty jokes? I don't do it no more. I, w I don't even want to be in the presence of somebody talking like that. And I won't be there very long. You can bet on that. They start saying things about coarse joking, jesting, using slang words, profanity. Forget it. I'm out of here. I don't want to be around that. I ain't going to sit and talk to you. I'll just tell you. Hey, you can talk to him, tell him dirty jokes you want to. You're going to talk to me. I'm an intelligent, educated man. You don't have to talk to me like that. I don't use them kind of words. If you want to use them, if that's the way you're going to talk, then forget it. Talk to him. I'm out of here. 
when you get to where you're educated enough to talk to me, come over here. I'm a son of God. I'm not a nobody. I'm a child of the king. That's what you got to do. He says, who did no sin. That's yours and my goal. No sin. Neither was guile or deceit found in his mouth. That's your goal. That's where God wants you to walk. Now, what he said, brother? And then he said, and even when he was reviled, he reviled not again. That's kind of hard, you know it? When he suffered even, he threatened not. That's really tough, isn't it? But committed himself to him that judges righteously, who his own self bear our sins in his own body on the tree, that we, being dead to sin, should live unto righteousness. Should. You hear him say? Should. It doesn't say you will live unto it. It said you should. And he said, if you do that, if you meet all the criteria above, then what does the next line say? By his stripes you were what? You were healed. If you walk in what he said and walk in obedience to his word and put him first in all that you do, then no sickness and no disease can come upon you. How many of you would like to live 80 or 90 years in perfect health? And then one day the Lord decided to be strong as a bull ox running out there and playing just like you are right now. You look like a big old healthy boy right now. You look like you run and do all kinds of good things. And you could still do the same thing that you could do today when you get to be about 90 and you're healthy. And all of a sudden the Lord said, now, son, you've served my purpose. I'm going to translate you out here. Just jerk you right out of that body and that body falls down on the ground and you're gone. That's the way you want it. That's what we should be as Christians. You know that? That's the way we should be. That's what God has planned and ordained for the church. Somebody said, well, how in the world are you going to die if you don't get sick? Hey, be translated out. I mean, was Elijah sick? No, Elijah, goodness gracious, alive. He's walking over there and he's hitting the the River Jordan and it's spreading out and him and Elisha are walking on dry ground. That's the kind of power he was walking in. I don't know about you, but that's the way I'd like to walk. The only thing, I've learned something that Elijah and Elisha didn't learn. Elijah done eight miracles. Eight Elisha said, I want a double portion of your anointing. See, he thought he was really stepping out there in faith. And guess what? how many miracles he did? Sixteen. I don't want no limits, do you? I mean, Elijah done eight and Elisha done sixteen. He asked for a double anointing. That's what he got. Give me a break. I want a supernatural anointing with no limitations, don't you, brother? I don't want to have eight miracles or 16 miracles or 1,600 miracles. God might have 10 million for you, brother. You see where I'm coming from? Don't put him on a limitation. With God, there is no limits. His limits is as you believe. If you believe he can't heal you, guess what? You won't get healed. If you've got a mate that you're laying there comatose and your spinal cord severed and the doctor says you're going to die and if you don't die, you guarantee you ain't going to walk again. If that mate that you got right there, she's going to agree with that, let me tell you, you'd still be comatose. Instead of being up running around, 
But that woman of yours, she's a woman of God. I ain't buying your report. Jesus said. See, now Jesus made us some awesome promises in this book. Awesome. If you walk in obedience to His Word, turn back to John 14. We're going to go through just a few of these promises. In fact, we'll, let's start with, uh, let's, let's hit Matthew 18, 19 first. That's one of my favorite ones. Matthew 18, 19. Jesus said in Matthew 18, 19, Again I say unto you, that if two of you on earth agree about anything, it'll be done for you sometime. It'll be done for you every time. Then what's wrong with the church? Why don't we believe that? Good question, huh? See, we really don't believe it, do we? How many people you know comes into church? Walks up and say, Hey, brother, how are you doing this morning? Praise God, good to see you at the service this morning. Shake hands with you. How are you feeling? Oh, Thurman, I, you know, I'm not too good today. i got a headache and I don't feel too good. I must be coming down with the flu. I know you never heard that in church, right? We should never hear that in church, should we? They say, Come over here, brother. i got a demon attacking me. i got a headache. Let's kick this devil out right now. Let's take this prayer of agreement and kick him out in the name of Jesus. That's the way we ought to be talking, right? And when we do that, guess what happens? Gone. In fact, one Wednesday night at service up there, there's a man had taken out of the bank right here in Justin one day, right uh, yeah, up the road this way. He had a gallstone, a kidney stone. And he's a young man. Had a kidney stone. They took him to a doctor. Didn't. They checked him. He got a kidney stone. Sent him home. Said, there ain't nothing we can do. Just go home and maybe you can pass this thing. So that night at church, Baptist church, you know. I mean, we really stepped up there in faith that night on a prayer meeting. The pastor said, we need to pray for Daryl. He's at home with a kidney stone in tremendous pain. I said, I want to pray for him. I said, Father, in the name of Jesus, I'm going to use a prayer of agreement. Now then, I need one other man or woman in this place to agree with me tonight. Just one. And I'm agreeing and I'm commanding that kidney stone to pass from his body with no pain. Now, why would I go to all that extreme? I mean, why couldn't I say, well, God, let it pass. I don't care if he's got all kinds of pain and suffering, tears up all of his inside as it comes out. Hey, that wouldn't be no fun, would it? If God said, I have no limitations, if two of us agree about anything, why don't you say, Father, in the name of Jesus, pulverize that thing with an angel or the Holy Ghost or something. Let it come into tiny little pieces. Or is that, or just let it pass out of his body with no pain. You think God can let that big old kidney stone with all them jagged stones on it pass right through you and not be a pain at all? Of course He can. Ask Him and thank Him for it. Now I said, all I need is one body, one body, anybody in this place today before we go to agree with me in prayer. I was a little bit of a radical by this time as a Baptist. Everybody began to pray different things for different people. Our typical... Baptist prayers. Oh, God, if it be your will for sister so-and-so, heal this or do this or meet Brother Joe's knees or whatever. Nobody agreed with me in prayer. Come down to the last man, Brother Joe. He said, Father, I'm going to be in agreement with Thurman's prayer. I jumped up and said, Praise God, we got it. <laughs> I mean, you got to be radical, right? I believe this stuff. So we go home that night. His wife called me. She said, 
she needed to talk to Betty about something. I said, she's not home. She's still up the church. But I said, how's Daryl? She said, well, Thurman, he's in excruciating pain. I said, that kidney stone's fixing to go away. Well, she said, I sure hope so. I said, there ain't no hope about it. I said, if the Word of God is true, and it is, he's going to pass that kidney stone and just a little bit, and he's going to do it with no pain. Now, Mark eleven twenty three said I could do what? Whatever I say with my mouth, if I believe with my heart, I'll have it. it surely God wouldn't give me that kind of power on this earth. But I don't know. I ain't believing no report no more, brother. I'm with you and your wife. We believe in... Me and Cheryl with you, we believe in the Lord's report. We've had too many of these devils come against us in the name of Jesus. We've come back against them. And she said, well, okay. She said, I never saw anybody talk about this like this. So she hung up the phone. And about 15 minutes, the phone rang again. She said, Thurman, this is Cindy. She said, I told Daryl what you said. And I said, man, he sounds so strong. He said, well, let me go to the bathroom and try this. And they give me a scream. So he goes in there and said, that thing came right out without a single bit of pain. He's in there screaming, thank you, Thurman. I said, don't thank me. Tell him to thank Jesus. Praise God. Now, see, you'd never dream that Jesus said, if two of you are on earth agree, what kind of promise is that, brother? Is that awesome? I mean, if there's, the last time I checked, are you one? And you one? And in my math, that was two? And I think y'all are on earth, aren't you? <laughs> now, maybe you can't get y'all to agree about nothing. <laughs> or you agree a lot, huh? Well, the king said if you're going to agree on anything and you meet that first criteria, he'll do it for you, right? Don't you think it's time we start praying about everything? When we do, when we're in agreement, what's the king going to do? He's going to do exactly what he said he would do. I mean, goodness, Cheryl and I prayed over so many things to use that. I couldn't even begin to tell you how many promises or how many miracles and healings I've seen God do with that verse. Isn't that awesome? He makes a promise like that, and we don't believe it. That makes you want to kick yourself, don't it? Now you know why the devil don't want you in the Word, don't you, Ben? He don't want you to believe these things. Turn over a few pages to John 15. Lord talked about Mark eleven twenty three. Mark eleven twenty three. What can you have? Anything you say with your mouth, if you believe it with your heart. That's that's no limitations, is it? I mean, I mean, why is it that the church we go around begging and pleading for God to do something? I mean, the book is just full of these promises, isn't it, brother? When you get hold of this, you ain't never the same. Ooh, all the promises. Now, that's the next thing somebody will say. Oh, well, I know he made all them promises, but you know, sometimes he says yes to those promises, and sometimes he says no to a promise. But you just quoted a verse. Oh, you know where that's found? You don't know where it's found? Well, let me tell you. Anybody here know where that's found? That promise, it says, all the promises of God in him or in Christ are yes and amen every time. What? Second Corinthians what? One twenty. How many of the promises of God are yes and amen? All of them. To His obedient children that believe by faith. Every time you come to God and ask Him for something. Just like this brother and his wife back here that had the severed spinal cord and all that stuff. I mean, obviously they're walking in obedience to the Word and she's believing the Word. She's kicking that devil out with the Word. 
I mean, it takes a woman of faith to stand where he did. She did. You know it? Her husband laid her comatose with an injury like that, with a spinal cord severed and all that stuff. And the doctor said, can't live. Can't live. If he does, he can't never walk. And she said, no, I ain't buying that. I ain't buying that at all. But the average Christian believes that. Look what, look what uh, uh, John 14 Okay, okay, first go to John 14 first, since that's in line. John 14, and when you get to John 14, I want you to look at this promise. First of all, I want you to see John 14, 12. Now, this one here won't blow your socks off. you got them on too tight. John 14, 12, the king says, Truly, truly, or verily, verily, I say unto you, he that believeth on me. Now, that's the requirement. You've got to believe on Jesus. If you're a believer in Jesus. He says, the works that I do shall he do also. Is that pretty awesome? The works that I've been doing, you will do also. What kind of works did Jesus do? Oh, he didn't do nothing, though, did he? Did Jesus speak to the storm? Did he command the ways to be still? And did they? They did. Ooh. So that means you can do the same thing in faith. Wow. Did Jesus heal the sick? Did he cleanse the lepers? Did he raise the dead? Did he cast out devils? There's got to be something wrong with this then, isn't it? Verily, verily, or truly, truly, I say unto you, He that believes on me, the works that I do, shall he do also... Oh, and, oh, oh, there's the problem. And lesser works than these. Oh, it couldn't be greater. You mean your Bible says greater too? And greater works than these shall he do because I go unto my Father. There's got to be something wrong. The church don't believe this. Do we? That's unfortunate. And then, of course, he didn't want us to miss it. So the next two verses he put in there for the men's benefit. The next two verses he put in there, because just like Dr. James Dawson says, Dr. Dr. James Dawson says that 24 weeks in the womb of every mother, there's a chemical reaction that takes place in the brain of every boy child that don't take place in the girls. Now, you little girls need to know this. You already heard that. There is a chemical reaction that severs the link between the right and left brain on every man. It don't happen on you girls. So y'all's minds are ability to communicate right and left at lightning speed. But it don't happen on the girls, but it does on the men. It burns that link in two. And so therefore, we as men cannot communicate as fast or rapidly as the women can of course, just like Dr. James Dodson said, he says, as every woman knows, every man is born with brain damage. <laughs> you don't believe that? Just ask your wife. She said, I knew there was something wrong with him. Now I know what it is. Girls, be patient with us. It takes us a little longer. Jesus knew this. He knew he wasn't going to get it the first time, so he gave us two more shots right below that. And John 14, 13, and after he told us we could do not only what he could do, but greater things, and in verse 13 he says, And whatsoever you shall ask in my name, 
That will I do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you shall ask anything in my name, I will do it. Now, what kind of two double whammy back-to-back promises is that? What can you do with a promise like that? You can do anything. Now, it just comes down to the point. Do you believe that or not? If you believe that, you ain't going to be no problem getting healed when you leave here today. Turn over the page to John 15, 7. John 15, 7, it says, If you abide in me, now there's a requirement, you have to abide in Christ, and my words abide in you, you shall ask what you will, and it shall be done unto you. What does it mean to abide in Christ? Stay in His Word. Read it, study it, all those things. Abide in Him. Now, too many people, too many people don't abide in Christ. This young lady and young fellow right here on the front, I said I'll use them as examples. I'm getting really friendly with them here like I know them now. They got married a few years ago, I'm assuming. And they come together and they had a honeymoon of one week. And then all of a sudden he says, Honey, i got to go down to work and I'll see you later. And he don't come home that night. He don't come home the next night. He don't come home the next night. And two weeks later, for the first time, he comes bopping back in the door and said, Hi, honey, is dinner ready? Was, is that abiding in you? Not hardly. But you know that's the way we do Jesus all the time? We come down to church on Sunday morning. We abide in him for 30 minutes to an hour. Now, we don't want to abide more than 30, 40 minutes in the worship service because we might miss you know, it might be late to dinner wherever we're going to go out to eat or something. You know, you, you get the point? Oh. See, we should not put nothing in front of Jesus, right? I mean, if that boy comes home and you says, Honey, before we go out to eat tonight, I sure would like to go somewhere and do something. You have to say, Sure, anything for you, honey. See, that's really abiding in you, isn't it? That's thinking more of you than it does himself. You know what? When I, got, I went out of town for a couple of days... My wife couldn't go, and I come in, and we start to go by the someplace. I thought, where's she going? I didn't say anything. She goes up to the shoe shop. I thought, well, I guess she's stuck a pair of her shoes in there or something. And she goes in, and when she comes out, she's got two pair of my boots. I said, what'd you do? She said, I had new heels and soles put on your boots for you while you were gone. Isn't that amazing? When you love somebody, you do something to bless them, don't you? Yeah, happy anniversary. <laughs> <laughs> happy anniversary. Praise the King. You do things to bless somebody else. That's when you put somebody else in front of you. That's what God says we're supposed to do as Christians. We're supposed to do that. Verse 8 says, Herein is my Father glorified that you bear much fruit. How much fruit are we supposed to bear as Christians? Much. So why don't we do these things? Why don't we believe these promises? Now turn back to one last scripture and we're going to... Well, we've got two more scriptures we're going to hit and then we're going to quit for the day. Mark chapter 16, I want you to see this. Because I don't know how many times I've read this to people. I quoted this to a man the other day. And this man... 
It's amazing how you can study the Bible all your life and never know this. This man had studied the Word of God for years. And I told him, I said, isn't it wonderful that we can cast out devils and heal the sick? He said, Thurman, where in the world do you find such a verse? I said, well, in Mark 16. He said, you know you can't do that. I said, well, I guarantee I can't. In the name of Jesus. I said, is that a God's liar? Do you think God's liar? He said, absolutely not. Absolutely God can't lie. I said, okay. Well, we got that down. Mark 16, 17. Of course, the first part he told us to do too, in which we had a blessed. In verse 15, he said, go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. We're supposed to do that too. So I don't want you to hold up your hand, but I want you to think, when's the last time you led somebody to Jesus? Now, if you hadn't been leading somebody to Jesus, you're not doing what the king says. You're supposed to be telling people about Jesus. Go into how much? All the world and preach the gospel to every creature. Every creature. And he says, And him that believes and is baptized shall be saved, but he that believeth not shall be damned. And then in verse 17 he says, And these signs shall follow them that believe. I was an unbelieving believer for a long time of my life. But now I'm a believing believer. Now you can be an unbelieving believer. But I think we need to become believing believers. And he said, if you're a believing believer, if you're a believing believer, these signs shall follow them that believe. In my name, the name of Jesus, you shall cast out devils or demons. How do you cast out a devil? How did I cast that devil out of Cheryl's throat the other night? Do you hear what I've done? Demanded a beast to leave in the name of Jesus. Somebody said, that's the most absurd thing I ever heard. To think that your wife could have a demon? There ain't no way my flesh and blood body is holy ghost filled. Ain't no way no devil of hell could be in there. Let me tell you, that beast going to beat up on you bad. When you get a hold of who it is and what he does, you'll get to where you'll do the same thing I did to Cheryl. You know, that's just like little uh, uh, Cody... Cody come to healing school years ago and got healed, six years old. Had an incurable disease and couldn't know where he could get healed. He come to healing school. I taught him the Word of God, cast that devil out of him. I use this very verse right here. I said, now, Cody, guarantee Jesus has healed you, but you've got to believe it. Now, he couldn't eat a thing without some kind of enzymes. If he didn't take the enzymes, he'd throw up. Been doing it all of his life. His mother was tired of throwing up or cleaning up throw up vomit. Come down to his school after service, the faith of a child. He was six years old. Come running down there right in front of everybody. I said, Mr. Scribner, I'm ready for you to cast this devil out of me and heal me in the name of Jesus. I said, okay. So he come up there and I knelt down in front of him and laid the hands on him and said, you devil of hell, come out of him in the name of Jesus. Go. You have no more authority. I said, now, Cody, Jesus is healed. He told me to lay hands on you. Didn't he make that hard? Amazing. So anyway... He starts to leave, and his mother said, Mom, Cody, come over here. I need Pastor Thurman to pray for you. He said, Mom, he's already prayed for me. I'm healed. She said, Cody, come over here. You know your daddy and me have to be with you. I said, no, Mama. I run down there, and he laid his hands on me, cast the devil out, and I'm healed. And she got really upset with him. But he would not come back. He said, no, it's done, Mama. So they go home, and he said, Mom, I'm ready for supper. Said, okay, so she fixed supper and everything. She's still very upset with Cody. Cody, we eat. Now then it's time to take your medicine. He said, no, Mama. Pastor Thurman said if I take medicine, it means I didn't believe Jesus healed me. 
He said, I don't need the medicine. If Jesus healed me, I'm not sick anymore. I'm well. She said, Cody, you either take this medicine. If you don't and you throw up, I'm going to give you a spanking. She said, that's okay, Mama. I'm going to trust Jesus. And he would not take the medicine. And she said, he has never thrown up since that day. But a few months later, Mama come in, had a great big old yellow and, and red thing on her side. Had a big old yellow ball in the middle of it. Next day, she had two of them there. She said they were as big as a plate. She said, well, I don't want to call the doctor. Cody heard her call the doctor. said, Mama, what would you call the doctor for? She said, well, son, look at these things. Pulled her blouse up there and said, look at these things on my side. He said, don't you remember what Pastor Thurman said? Them just demons. We, all, we have all power over them things. Now, what every little boy wants to do to his mother, <laughs> cast a devil out of her. <laughs> that little boy reached up and laid his hands on that mama's side and said, you devils of hell, you ain't going to have my mama. He thought a lot of his mama. He said, you ain't going to have my mama. He said, come out of her in the name of Jesus. And that mama come to a healing school after that, said Thurman, she come up and give a testimony, said, God is my witness. Within an hour, those things were half the size. I called and canceled my doctor's appointment. Said that that was late that evening. Said the next morning when I woke up, there was not a sign of those things on my side. A six-year-old boy's faith. Somebody said, that little tiny kid? Yeah, but guess who was in that little tiny kid? The king of the universe. When that little tiny kid stood up and come against the forces of darkness, that might have been a little tiny child, but, but guess who's standing there honoring the Word? The Son of God. And he defeated that devil, and he said, Devil, do you hear what my little son did? Get out. And when Daddy's along beside you, your son may be afraid when he's a little bitty guy, but when he's walking inside you, sir, he ain't afraid of nothing. You know what I mean? That's the way these little children are. When they're walking beside Daddy, they ain't afraid of nothing. Well, let me tell you, when we're walking beside our brother Jesus, well, after what he done for us on the cross, we have our sins repented of. We shouldn't be afraid of anything the devil can throw at us. Jesus said, he said, you can cast out devils. You can speak with new tongues. You shall even take up the serpent, which is a devil. And if you drink any deadly thing, it shall not hurt you. How many people do you know claim that when they get sick with food poisoning or something? You get stung by a wasp. get stung by a bee. get bit by a snake. That's deadly poison. Is that going to hurt you? Not if you can take that word and believe it. You see where I'm coming from? You don't have to be afraid of nothing as a daughter of the king, little lady. You, your king, your brother, has given you all power and all authority on this earth over everything that tries to hurt you. All you've got to do is walk in faith. But you know what happens when a snake or a wasp flies up and stings you right there on the head? You know what most of us will do? We'll start screaming and hollering and run to Mama instead of Jesus. But when you run to Jesus, He'll be there and He'll take care of it. The promises are there, aren't they? Amazing. Amazing. And then He says... After that, he said, you shall lay hands on the sick and they shall what? 
There's something wrong with this picture. If this book is really this simple, then why in the world, like you and I said a while ago, when somebody comes into church as a Christian, why they come in and you shake hands? How are you doing this morning, brother? Oh, my back's killing me today. I know you've heard them kind of stories just like I have, haven't you? You know why we say those things? Because we don't know what's written in this book. Unbelief. And can't you see the devil laughing at you and me? Just like you and your home. You've got this beautiful family here. Every time the devil tries to kick one of them or make one of them sick or do something, why, you and Mama ought to take the Word of God. I mean, whether it be you or her or one of these children. Take the Word of God, kick them devils out in the name of Jesus. Now, children, it's done. Go back to school. Of course, the children went, uh-oh, uh-oh. That means if we don't have no sickness, we can't miss no days of school. Oh! Oh, the homeschool video. <laughs> so that means they don't get to lay in there on the couch and do something else while you teach the rest of them. They have to suffer through school. <laughs> Praise the King. You get well. When you believe God's Word, you do what He says, He will heal you. He promised it. Now, there's one last verse, and this is the very last one, and we're going to go to James 5, and I want you to see this one. In James 5, you got to... Actually, in James 1, uh, I didn't mean to tell you a story, but there's two verses in, uh, and actually two places in James. James chapter 1, verse 6 and 7 says, if you, but you, but let him ask in faith, nothing wavering. For when you ask, you've got to ask God in faith, nothing wavering. For he that wavereth is like a wave of the sea, driven with the wind and tossed. For let not that man think that he shall receive anything of the Lord. So when your wife asked, she didn't ask wavering, did she? There was no wavering in that woman. And because of her faith, and your faith, that's why you're well today. And you know that, don't you? And you know that too, don't you? Guarantee it. When you don't waver, you don't go by what you see. I don't care if he's laying there coming to for 10 days, 15 days, or whatever it is. He's well because Jesus said so. And she got what she said, didn't she? And then when you got well enough, you could speak to the two of y'all. You got together quicker. You got to ask in faith, nothing wavering. All right, look at this guarantee from God's Word if you're sick. In James chapter 5, verse 14 and 15, look at this. James 5, 14. Is any sick among the church? Who's that include? Anybody sick in the church? Is any sick in the church? Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. So heart don't sound too hard, does it? And the prayer of faith. Now, not the prayer of unbelief. The prayer of faith shall save the sick and the Lord shall raise him up. And if he has committed sins, they shall be forgiven him. There should not be a single sick person in the church today. If you're in church and you're going to church and you're serving God and loving God and being obedient to His Word, number one, you won't be sick. God promised to take all sickness and disease away from you. But if you're disobedient, you're opening the door to the devil. So when you walk in love, walk in obedience, 
You don't have to have sickness and disease as long as you know what Sherry knows. Because when Sherry, when that devil, she's walking in obedience to the Word. Well, Sharon, she's walking in obedience to the Word too, sitting right beside her. But whenever the devil tries to come upon you to put something on you, I mean, just like Sharon told me, whenever she had been healed a couple of years ago almost, she had only been down for 30 years with back pain. Only 30 years, right, Sharon? Only 30, you know, so 30 years is not very long, you know, when you're having fun. But 30 years is a long time when you're in pain, right? So to be in pain for 30 years and then come to a healing school and get healed instantly is an awesome thing to see God do. But see, she didn't know the promises of God. Was she going to church? Of course she is going to church. Was she loving God? Of course she is loving God. Did she know what faith was? Of course not. She didn't have a clue. If you'd asked her, she said, I do. But she didn't. So when she came to me at a healing school in January, a year and a half ago, she came up and said, Mr. Scrivener, I want you to know before you pray for me, this is my first time here. She said, I want you to know I've been prayed for by at least a hundred people and nothing has ever happened. I said, well, number one, young lady, you have never repented of the sin that brought your sickness. And so I told her, I said, how long ago did this happen? She said, 30 years ago. I said, okay, tell me what kind of sin you were committing at that time. And she thought back and she thought of it. And she said, I, I said, you haven't repented of that. She said, well, I, I will repent right now. So she repented of the sin. Now we've removed the devil's legal right. I said, now then you never come to God on behalf of his scripture. I said, because Jesus said in Jeremiah 1.12, he watches over his word to perform his word, not just mine and your spoken words. His word. I said, let's find a scripture that we can use to kick this devil out. He got in. I mean, did Mark 16, 17, 18 say we could cast out devils and lay hands on the sick and they get well? Well, after we took away the devil's legal right to be there, after she repented of her sin, which she did, and we quote those two verses, and then I reached over and laid my hands on her, I said, in the next thing, nobody's ever prayed over you in faith. I said, I'm going to speak this in faith, and I'm going to guarantee the king of the universe is going to heal you. When I do this, I reached over and laid my hand and said, Come out of her, you devil of hell. And I said, Don't come back in the name of Jesus. I said, Now be healed in Jesus' name. Just like that. Sharon Jones, for after 30 years, was instantly healed of a 30-year back injury. Is Jesus awesome? Does he honor exactly what he says in his word? Yeah. Now, there's been a few times, haven't it, Sharon, that these devils would try to come back. He don't give up easy, does he? A year, six months, whatever, one morning you wake up with a little pain in your back. He's saying, oh, you wasn't really healed after all, was you? And she says, oh, yes, I was, you devil of hell, in the name of Jesus. I had that pain for 30 years and I ain't putting up with that nonsense no more. So she takes that double-edged sword, pulls out of her mouth and cuts his head and plumb off. When she does, he goes away, doesn't he, Sharon? Woo! Goes away. And let me tell you, Sharon says, healing with no pain sure is a whole lot better than 30 years of pain. Isn't that amazing? Now, did God make you these promises? Don't you think it's time everybody in here today believes God's Word? If you have any kind of sickness and disease, we're going to pray over you right now. And if you'll believe Him, make sure you get your sins repented of. Now, one of your sins is your sins of unbelief for the promises of God. 
Somebody said, well, goodness gracious, I've never heard these kind of things taught in my life. That's why you got all that unbelief. Because is there anything in here today we taught you wasn't in the Bible? Absolutely, it's all in there. So if God made all them promises, then shame on us for not believing it, right? See, when you get to where you believe these things, then you don't need nothing but you and God or you and your spouse like Sherry and Dave. I mean, you know, I mean, here going up the stairs, you know, it ain't no big deal. She gets top of the stairs and says, oh, honey, my back, you know, that devil, kick that devil out of me, will you please? We just reach back and say, come out of here, you devil, hell, in the name of Jesus. It's written right here. I got authority. Go. And he done it in faith. And what does that devil have to do? He's gone. How long did it take for Sherry's pain to go away? Less than a minute, she said. Now, just what? Just like, if she hadn't known that, she could have went to bed with that that night. She could have woke up the next morning with that. Oh, could have went to the doctor. Oh, yeah, them doc- of course, doctors don't charge much. You know, they're real you're cheap, yeah. Mm-hmm. But Jesus doesn't charge. He paid the price. And He'll heal everything you come to Him in faith after you've repented of your sins. He will not cut His children short. If you stand on His Word, and what do you think it means to stand on the Word? Continue to stand. Some people say, well, gee, I went down there and they prayed for me. And I didn't feel any better when I left than I did when I got there. Well, don't let the devil beat you up there. Keep standing on the Word. If you stand on the Word, the Lord says in Hebrews 10, 35 and 36, you have need of confidence. He first of all said, don't throw away your confidence in the Word. But you have need of patience. That's something we don't do very well. After you have done the will of God, you will receive your promise. Don't never throw away your confidence in the Word. Trust in the Lord. It took you a while, didn't it, brother? It took what? Did you say four or five years or something? This happened four or five years ago? Huh? Ninety-nine. But he's getting better every day. And for a man that couldn't never get well, that's just like my granddaughter. You know, they said she could not live, but I stood on these promises. And I'm telling you today, in fact, we was at the post office down there a while ago, and she spent the evening with a little friend of hers, and that woman told me, I went out to her and she said, Thurman, it is awesome. Caitlin can do anything anybody else can do. Said she had one of them little, what do you call them, honey? Karaoke machines? Said we were singing songs. She said Caitlin had that mic up her and she's just praising the Lord, seven years old. And for a little girl who had her brain stems ever, just like Wendy said the other night, when she said, honey, would you put these like this and line them up like this? She's putting tapes in boxes and putting CDs in there. And when he looks over at me and said, Mr. Scrivener, brain stem severed, give me a break. <laughs> but it was. It was severed. Two MRIs confirmed it. Eyes disconnected from the brain. No surgery in the world can put that back. But Jesus can. But you've got to stand on the Word, right, brother? So when you stand on the Word of God and stand on it, stand on it, and not one single scar left on her little face. It took me two years to pray the final scar off the bottom of her chin. But I would not take no for an answer. And he took it off. But it took two years. What was I doing? Standing on the Word of God with no doubt in my heart. Your answer is yes every time. Don't take the devil's sickness and disease. Walk holy before God and then stand on the promise when the beast attacks and he will. He will attack. 
When he does, don't ever take no for an answer from God. Kick the devil out and walk holy before God and believe his mighty promises and walk in divine help. Praise the King. Father, in the name of Jesus, we thank you for this day. We thank you for the beauty of this day. We thank you for your word, which is forever settled in heaven, which cannot be changed. I want to thank you, Father, for what you did through your son, Jesus, and how he defeated the devil, and you gave us all power over him, over sin, sickness, disease, everything, so we don't have to walk in those things of the world, but we can walk in faith and divine health. And we praise you and thank you that you've given us dominion and power and authority back just like you gave it to Adam in the beginning, only better. Thank you, Father. In Jesus' name, amen. When you come up for prayer, all you need to do is believe God. You come up here for prayer and believe in the King, and He will heal you. That's all you need to do.